My GPS is Australian. It sounds just like a lease. I have a lease on my GPS. I have an Australian lady on there. I just love, when I get around Australian folks, I like them to just talk. So I picked her up for school today and we picked up Destiny. And she said, I have a question for you. No, however she says it, I can't talk that way. And I'm like, oh good, ask me. <laughs> Take your time and make it in depth. <laughs> and she's so sweet, she's just sitting there talking and I'm sitting there going, oh, isn't that amazing? And I'm like, but I'm still listening and I'm still able to, but I just appreciate her accent. Her, her hubby went with us Friday, I just love to hear him talk. It's just good. So I put the Australian on my GPS. I forget her name. She has a name on there, but I'm just going to start calling her at least. I told my wife a while back, I said, oh, I said, I guess you need to know. I said, I've been traveling with this Australian lady every trip I take. This Australian lady goes with me. I said, she's so awesome. I really love her. She's real trustworthy. And she goes, she said, what are you talking about? I said, she's my GPS. But mine's born again. She, if I make a wrong turn, she don't get frustrated. She doesn't have any tone in her voice. She's so gracious. So I got a born-again GPS. She is so sweet. She's like, recalculating any way I can help. I'll work this out for you. I love you. <laughs> so it's just good. I hear some people say their GPS has attitude. I don't know. But no, mine's born again. Okay. We got on a lot of topics today. I thought we were talking about communion with God. But you know what? The Holy Spirit has an awesome strategy when He teaches stuff like this. Because a lot of the ways that I'm talking in the motives of heart, they come through communion and relationship with God. Like you can't, you can't study your Bible and come up with a sermon on love and then bite your lip and start to walk in love. Can you? That would be works. That would be your own sufficiency and your own ability. Now you can have the best heart and do the best you can and etc. But who knows that you'll never live the standard of God's love in your own ability and strength. Is that true? Because you are what you are by the grace of God. So if we are what we are by the grace of God and all glory goes to God, we have to understand how to receive that grace and how that works. True? Well salvation, you're saved. We explained this the first week of school but it's just a recap. You're saved by Grace through faith. So as I release faith in truth, grace comes and makes it my reality. Do you get that? Come on. Now, if you're all bent up with rights and issues, you'll have the yell butts and the wells and all this other stuff, and you won't just yield yourself to truth. You'll have hang-ups, and, and truth's not good enough then because people need to change. Well, they shouldn't have said that. And you have all these reasons not to be in faith and then it subverts grace that transforms your life and that's why people could have the same issues five years later and the same hang-ups and be in the third church with the same baggage make sense okay it's like pastor man what a good testimony yesterday when he explained how he carried ought in his heart against that fellow for two years and he said the man didn't even know it but Don's the one that was the prisoner and there comes a place in communion where that stuff and relationship where you don't have the right. See what Don shared, Pastor shared so clear was that he so focused on what that man did wrong that it gave Don a right, Pastor a right to feel the way he felt. And then he had enough Christian friends in his life that because he was hurt, he spewed that too. And when they heard it went, what? Well, no wonder you feel the way you do. And then they just fed it. 
and affirmed it as Christian friends. Wow, they're even in agreement. Now, they have the, now he has the strength of agreement. And he's the prisoner. Isn't that something? Communion with the Lord and looking at the life of Jesus and getting alone like that song he just had playing. Take all of me, take all of me. I'm telling you, serious. You shut things down and take some time and just get quiet and you lay somewhere and let something like that play and respond to it and commune to God. That's a big deal. Because right in the midst, stuff gets clipped out of you that you don't even know is there. You don't even know it's gone. It just goes. And there's other things God will highlight because He wants you to build an understanding and a stronghold in truth. I believe that's the reason. Personally, I believe God exposes certain things as He's stripping you of it so that you have awareness and don't fall into its deception and device down the road. Other stuff, I believe you just... You, there's so much... I had to get cleaned of so much stuff instantly because I didn't go through some process of... I surrendered and I felt alive and Jesus was real and oh my goodness and oh and I've been pretty much like that for a while and and I didn't go through this long haul oh, dealing with myself and do I went home and I actually felt great and I'd go into worship and I was ooh and intimacy and now you now you know this process of old things passing away and behold behold all things becoming new had to be in some major levels automatic without me having a conscious knowledge I didn't need a conscious knowledge I'm changed that's enough for me you see, I like that actually who, who would like who would like just to be changed just, you don't need the, 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 the constant knowledge of it because that can be the stronghold sometimes that's what gets you into works because you are sincere now you try to change yourself try not to do that try to stop that well I shouldn't be thinking that I shouldn't be doing that oh my god I'm not really growing because there I am still uh, yeah, uh. isn't that what people do? And then you're trying to become it yourself no it's through communion it's through faith and relationship and grace changes your life it really does grace changes your life we'll get into it we'll, we'll really explain it more we will at some point it's a long school my plan is today and tomorrow or whatever but I'm on a joy ride so look so father glorify your son why so you father would be glorified true isn't that amazing so I want to bear witness of my father not ashamed to call him father he's not ashamed to call his brethren in his own right He's my Father. As you have given Him authority over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as you have given Him. Now watch this. And this is eternal life. He makes that phrase, eternal life. So we think that's a ticket to heaven. And this is eternal life, that they may know you. What did Adam have in the Garden of Eden? Did he have religion, philosophy, doctrine, or relationship with Almighty God? So Adam didn't lose a religion, he lost a relationship. The day you eat the tree, Adam, is the day you surely... Before, before death, there's life, right? So to die, there had to be life. Oh. So Jesus is restoring us back to what Adam lost. And it's life with God. And because he's eternal that life with God and he never changes and the redemption is forever the life is what everlasting <laughs> it's a sweet or what it's not just some positional thing and one day you enter into it you were dead but now you're alive you were blind but now you see you were lost now you're found you're out of darkness 
into light. You get it? Oh, it's such a conversion. So, so here's the purpose of the cross. Here's the purpose of Jesus. To give eternal life. And then he says, and this is eternal life. That they may know you. That's cool with the day stuff. That's hearing the sound of the Lord coming. <laughs> you know, and then feel like, yes, but brother, he's always in me. See, and then we get so intellectual that we miss the heart of what's even being said. We, like, we get theological. I know people, they just get doctrinal. And yeah, but, well, what about... <laughs> Who knows that he's in me all the time? Who knows he'll never leave me and never forsake me? But who knows that I can seek Him in the secret place. And He who is in secret sees me there. Well, why are you going to go seek Him in secret, brother? He's right with you. Just say, hey, Lord. See, that's what we do. And then we, the person that does that, you'll find, is selling themselves short and doesn't have the reality that we're talking about. They just have head knowledge. Their, their doctrine is taking the place of knowing Him. And they turn into great debaters. And they have a million questions and answers for them. <laughs> you don't want that. Did you have a question? Yes. So you're not one of those people, though. I was just talking, right? No. I'm just kidding you. Because I said they have a million questions. And she goes, that's just funny. I thought, you're so bold. She is so secure. I said, and they have a million. She went, I thought, well, she has to know she's not. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Which might be the secret place, we might call it the secret place or whatever. However, um, you have demonstrated how you pray to the Lord and, and prayed that way in front of us. We pray that way in front of you. It's not the secret place, it's not secret, it is seen. Well, it can be secret in the sense that when you're driving in your car, that's a secret place. When nobody's around. Yeah. I got it, I got it. Take secret place. Don't just think it's a, closed in a room somewhere. It's when nobody's looking. But, but my but question Go is ahead. about presence. Mm-hmm. There, there, is, there is set apart kind of communion stuff with God. There's places where you just take a walk, go in a room, close a door, and just be with Him. Just seek Him. That's beautiful. That's awesome. And you like that. Yeah. And I say keep doing that. Don't separate your relationship with Him. From, don't feel like you come and go. As much as I close my door... And went in, what happens is, when you seek Him in the secret, the rest of that scripture is, and He'll reward you in the... So, you, so what you're seeking and finding in the secret is your reality when you leave. Uh, so still present. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. So what happens is, the, what happens is, He builds in a reality and a revelation in your heart to the degree where you just know He's right here. Where you could be driving in your car. You could just be walking through a hall. And say, Jesus, you're amazing. I love you. And say it from your heart. Nobody's listening. You're not saying it to sound spiritual. You're not saying it to the four people in the corner. Hear you and think, oh, listen, he's worshiping the Lord. He's just, you love him. And you, Jesus, you're amazing. And there's a bearing witness and a sense of knowing in your heart constantly where you just speak his name, Jesus, and his presence, the knowing of who he is, is there. Whether it's, or just, and, oh, happens to me all the time. I, I, I can just, well, I can. It's just a grace. I, 
I've grown that in my heart where he's real. I can just talk and say his name. I'm being careful now because he just loves me so much when I do that. I just make me cry. I say, Jesus, and I know he's here. Jesus, and I know he loves me. I know he's Lord. Why? Because we've been face to face so many times. Get what I'm saying? That you just, you're face to face. Now, is there a set apart, special kind of time where I can absolutely, where I'll talk like I wouldn't talk maybe if I'm in a room where it's just, there's, there's intimacy, there's personal stuff, there's experiences I've had with God in ways I've prayed I've never shared with anybody. There's touches and encounters I've never shared with anybody. One reason is, well, they're just intimate, I've never felt like I wanted to, but the other reason is that then we tend to chase after that to weigh spirituality or to have that experience to feel more affirmed spiritually. And I'm real careful not to share a whole lot of that stuff because I see what we do with it. Guys, I've had people call me with so much pain in their heart and issues and strife in their voice. And when you start to try to address that, they say, well, listen, don't tell me I have a relationship with God. I'm in the throne room every day. I go and sit at His feet every day. And they're actually offended telling me how they sit at His feet every day. And I said, ma'am, I said to one lady, ma'am, I said, you just got me troubled right now because... You, you have a need to tell me how you sit at his feet every day and he takes you into the throne room because you're listening to this speaker and this speaker and how they visit heaven every day and now you're in heaven every day. And, and I said, but it's amazing to me that you're in heaven every day and you have this kind of awe in your heart and this kind of frustration. You need to explain that to me because what are you receiving there? What are you accomplishing? What are you doing there when you're at the throne? She got so mad at me like I was implying something and she's just so mad I could hardly talk. But had a need to tell me all her spiritual encounters and I mean, was really mad on the phone. I'm like, Ew. I can't imagine sitting at the feet of Jesus in the throne room and then beaming back to earth and living like a person. <laughs> you know what I mean by that? <laughs> I mean a person, like a person that hasn't sat at his feet. So... So you sat at his feet. See, Jesus is deeper than that. Jesus wants you to seek him in the secret so he sees you there and rewards you in the open. Not so you elevate the experience and let it take the place of your identity and have the same issues and attitudes of heart of people that have never even pursued God. That's like so twisted. Then it lowers the beauty and the level and the awesomeness of being at his feet. Because then young Christians look and say, well, if you're sitting at his feet every day, and I'm not so sure I want to sit at his feet. Maybe I ought to try to sit by his side or something. Something must be wrong with where you're sitting because you're not getting a real good dose of something. It just affects people. I know a man that had a lot of character issues and he talked very spiritual and he had a lot and it was affecting the people around him because they started thinking, man, if you're that into the secret of who God is, I don't see the fruit and result of that in your life. So it actually quenched the desire of them to follow what he was saying. Because they were weighing his life. And, and I, I don't have a need to tell you certain things. I want you to see certain things in my life. You see what I mean? I don't even need to say I love you. If, if you've noticed, I don't say I love you a whole lot to people. 
Because I, I, I want to live I love you. I want you to know by my life I love you. I don't have to qualify it with words. They're the most three misused words on the planet. Now I could maybe say it more just because I hold back sometimes because of that. But I don't, you don't need to say I love you when somebody loves you. When somebody really loves you, you already know they love you. Some people so need to hear it, so need to believe it, that sometimes we say it and they're like, Oh, really? Really, I love you. I mean, in a relationship, a guy can be like living so off the wall, just so messed up. And this lady just so needs to be loved. And he's just living terrible. And you say, yeah, but it's love forgiveness. No, I'm talking, he's using the words to stretch out some time. And there ain't no thought of changing. And he just says, look, baby, I'm sorry. No, I'm, yeah, but you really is. Honey, I know. Look, I got my own struggles too, girl. I'm just... Man, but look, look at me. Come on, we got something here. We really do. And I love you. I don't know. I can't explain, but I love you. You do? You really love me. I love you. Look, I love... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just being real. <laughs> I just freaked some of you out, didn't I? <laughs> but that happens... All the time. And these three words that are the most incredible God-breathed words on the planet because you wouldn't even know love without God. Love is not an emotional, starry-eyed end of a Hollywood movie. Love is Christ coming and crucified and raised again and His life lived. He's the living epistle of love. It's not all this other stuff. And we wouldn't even know love if we didn't know God. God is love. Amen? <laughs> so these words we've used to save face, to get our way, and to meet our needs at the expense of others. And I tell people, man, don't be so caught up. If you always need to, I love you, I love you, I love you. You might be amazed sometimes there's a guilty conscience there. There's a trying to qualify. There's, it's, it's not wrong to say I love you. Don't let me build some stronghold in you on this. It's, it's totally okay to say I love you. What I'm saying is let the priority of your life be let, let, live I love you. Live I love you. You can say I love you all the time to everybody but just make sure you're living I love you. So I'm not trying to make something weird that you, you know, you, this stronghold builds and you're afraid to say I love you. Am I just saying this? No, what I'm saying is you can say I love you all you want. Just be sure the focus of your heart is living. I love you. Amen? Amen. Happy birthday over there. We are so glad for the day you were born. Yeah! <laughs> Jessalyn. She's one out of 500 million sperm cells. She's the one that made it to the egg. <laughs> That's what I say about me all the time. <laughs> it was me. It was you. You were seen before you were ever seen. Amen? Seriously, birthday, I used to never make much of it. I didn't think much of birthday, but you know what? Thank God for the day we were born because it was the revealing of God's predestination. It was the manifestation of what He saw all along. And it was you. Amen? So happy birthday. Bless you. We're not going to embarrass you anymore and sing. I'm tempted to, but we're not. It's their fault. Happy birthday, dear Selene. Happy birthday to you. Amen. Yeah. Okay.
Okay, and this is eternal life that they may... So eternal life is not a prayer just to get your name in a book. It's a restoration back into relationship with God to a personal intimate knowing of Him. True? Is that in your Bible? Okay. Now watch this. The only true God. I love the Word of God. You know, God's secure enough to say this. Who's going to challenge and say, Well, you're not the only way. I mean, there's many ways to you. <laughs> He's the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Boy, that's a triumphant prayer. That's a clear conscience, isn't it? And now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So, uh, it's pretty amazing. And that is probably, the result is probably Philippians 2, how he humbled himself, made himself even to the point of death, and therefore God exalted him above every name that will ever be named. Isn't that amazing? But here's what I want you to see, is eternal life is what? That we might know him okay first john chapter one real quick i'm just laying a foundation here so you can see some scriptural precedents for just some of the things we're talking about that which was from the beginning which we have heard. This is Apostle John right, man. This is intense. Come on, he was there. Oh. That which from the beginning, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen, bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father. He's taking this and making it more than a doctrine. Look what he's saying. It was manifested. Manifested means to make, make seen and known, to be realized, to make known, right? Watch. Or revealed. He says it was, uh, the life was manifested uh, and we have seen, bear witness, declare to you, verse 2, that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Ugh. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. He's passing beyond the boundaries of doctrine, philosophy, human knowledge. He's calling them into relationship. He's calling them into fellowship. Paul did the same thing in Ephesians. He, he said, now that I've heard your Christians... I haven't stopped praying for you. Well, we do the opposite. We pray for somebody until they pray the prayer. And then we rejoice and target somebody that didn't pray the prayer and pray for them. He said, now that you've prayed the prayer, so to speak, in our language, I haven't stopped praying for you that you understand what you've become. And that you have an intimate knowledge of Him. And that you have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. That God reveal Himself. That it become personal intimate. And you understand why you're born again. That's what Paul was saying in Ephesians 1. Now that I heard you're Christians, I got so excited I haven't stopped praying for you that you realize why you're Christians. 
That's what he was praying in Ephesians. Here's what John's saying. John's saying, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. Now this is what I don't hear preached much. And I don't know where they get the doctrine. Well, that was for the apostles. And it stopped. The apostle John is calling us in to what he enjoys. The Apostle John is saying, look, I don't have something extra intimate that you can't have. The reason I have it is to multiply it in you. And that which I've seen, I declare to you so you can have the same fellowship with him that I have. Come on, is that in your Bible? Yeah. And, and you don't hear that preached because we, 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 we exempt... We, we exempt ourselves and we exalt there because they were with Him and they saw the Lord. No, we can see the Lord. Paul says, and seeing, right? And seeing Jesus. He says to keep our eyes fixed on Him. And all those kind of terms are in your Bible. We're supposed to see Him too. Yeah. You get it? But we get technical. No, brother, they saw Him with their physical eyes. Yeah, He's saying that right here. Right? We've seen Him, we've heard Him, but we declare Him to you. So there must be a grace of fellowship. There must be a place that God has opened up for all of us to enter into the intimacy that He desires, into the oneness of what He's created us to have with Him. That door must be opened wide. Or the Apostle John just miswrote something here. Here's what he's saying. That you, who? You also may have fellowship with with us and look at this strong statement and truly <laughs> truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son Jesus Christ and these things we write to you that your joy might be full now watch there's more than you religiously serving Him. There's more than you just attending a church and trying to stay faithful to the doctrine. No, I'm writing that you can have communion with Him, interaction with Him, see Him and hear Him and be embraced by Him. I tell you these things so you enter in with us and have the same thing we have so your joy may be full. There's a joy in knowing Him. Amen? It's a joy unspeakable. It's good tidings, great joy. Do you see why he's doing this? Why are we to have fellowship with him? That your joy. Now, now how, many, how many things do we have in our life that dictate our joy? How, many, how much do we just live happy, sad, happy, sad mentality? Come on. Ducks in a row, not in a row. Happy, sad, happy, sad. Things going good, I'm doing great. Things ain't so good, pray for me, brother. You hearing me? Come on. Uh, dig deeper and get a better revelation. Are you kidding me? Every day He's my Father. Every day He loves me. Every day I have a great purpose of surrender and walking in love and selflessness that keeps me free from myself and free from feeling sorry for myself and self-sorrow and, and self, self, self. And all of a sudden it's Christ, Christ, Christ and it's you, you, you. Did you get it? So there's joy. Because I can't stumble over me for one thing. <laughs> Because if I'm stumbling over me, I can't love you. <laughs> oh. Are you guys all right? This thing's getting me happy. I'm feeling the joy right now. I'm like, oh God. It's going to look like I'm putting on a joy jacket to prove a point. It's because what I'm saying, I believe inside. It's, it's revealed. It's, it's real. So it just... It's like, oh. you get it? It's called freedom. Freedom from what? Yourself. 
<laughs> so your fellowship can be what? I, I love that. That John, the apostle who saw him, who, who writes confidently, and the one that Jesus loved. Come on, get real with me. We all need a breakthrough, right? See, in that sense, we got to be able to say, hey, the one that Jesus... What's your name? My name's Dan, the one that Jesus loves. <laughs> see? Come on. So we, see, we're like, who, me? John is writing in his writings, the disciple Jesus loved. We loved them all. But he's receiving it personally. It almost makes it sound like he's saying he loved me more. I'm so his favorite dude. <laughs> see? But so are you. Is it that like... See, to God, you have to be his... Whose hand was that? Was that yours? Okay. To God, I just saw him. To God, you have to be his favorite. And just know that everybody else is too. But make sure you know you are. Make sure you know he loves you. And don't just receive love. See, there's people out there that they can come over and they could just encourage someone else in God's love for them. And then turn away and not even... And, and then they try to draw strength and find just in being able to love this way and encourage this way, but yet in their own self, they're walking home not even convinced of what they're telling them is true. I've seen a lot of people do that in ministry. Give all the right answers and not become the fruit of all those answers. I had a man cry to me once. He said, I know the right answer and know how to minister to everybody, but yet I have not, da, 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 da. And it's because of a low esteem. He was holding himself accountable for some things and not letting God just love him. And he was being God. Instead of just saying, wow, you do forgive me, he was saying, well, yeah. And he was holding himself to a higher standard than the blood of Jesus was. You get what I'm saying? Come on, if God says, I forgive you, who are you to keep it alive? If he's God. Who are you to qualify his forgiveness and question if it's even valid or... Right? Yeah. Come on. If God says, look, don't even think about it. I see the pain in your heart. I see the change in your heart. Just, I just love you. Yeah, but I shouldn't have... But, yeah, but I should have knew better. But I... Shh. I love you. You've already learned an amazing lesson. Come to me. Let me hold you. Yeah, but I just don't feel like I'm worth being held right now because I should have knew better. But see, I was always a, already a Christian when I did it. And I should have known better. And I was a Christian. See, I was a Christian. Okay. <laughs> but you obviously had deception in the area, didn't have understanding, maybe got mad and gave yourself a right to, and you did some dumb things. That doesn't make you dumb. You learned a hard and painful lesson, but a lesson nonetheless. And why don't you let God hold you? Yeah, but I should know better. I was a Christian. It just changes everything. I've heard people do that and stand on that just over and over. See, that, that is a false sense of humility. That is pride. That is you just not receiving God's love. Finding a reason not to, even though you desperately need love. Don't do that. Please don't do that. What's John saying? Man, the one we've seen and heard... <laughs> Handled. <laughs> he says, we declare him to you that you may have the same fellowship with us. And truly, it's with the Lord. Isn't that amazing? <gasps> you had a question, comment? What do you... Hang on, Jenny's getting the mic. Jesus. 
Thank you, Jenny, so much. This is a really good place to go. But the, the, the whole theme, I think, that John is putting forth is fellowship. And he's so definitive that this is our calling. This is what we're coming into, fellowship with God. And, I'm, and it says our fellowship is with the Father. He's so emphatic about that. But then when you, and you, you might be going here, but then when you jump down it, to verse 6, it says, but if we say that we have fellowship with him, it says we walk in darkness and we lie. That's very, very strong language. And I'm thinking here, um, it, fellowship, you know, I've, I've heard this taught, well, it, in two different lights, okay? We, uh, it, it, there's broken fellowship and, you know, you, you, we've hung our harps by the willows. And so now we've been called into this dynamic fellowship, but now fellowship is broken. And I'm thinking, you know, if we say that we have fellowship with him, is it maybe he's addressing like the unregenerate. I don't even know if he's really talking to the believer because he says, if we say in verse 6, if we say we're in deception, if we say we're, we make him a liar, and he's using really strong, strong cross-tasting, contrasting language. Let me address your comment. You make plenty of the comment. I can easily address this. Remember how I got in that place of, of prayer and God said, oh, come on, you're learning how to, you're learning a language. When I see something that strong, God doesn't write that strong to condemn your heart and get you to second guess your heart. It's so that you never get trapped in the language without that reality. You're the steward of your heart. And I say that. How much do you hear me say you're the steward of your heart? You're the steward of your heart. Motive, 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 motive. If I say I have fellowship with him, oh yeah, I just love the Lord. Oh, I just love the Lord. I, I have people come to me. I'm not kidding you. It's all the time. Got a live-in lover. They're doing drugs in and out. All kinds of stuff, but they know the gospel. Grew up in church. Well, no, hey, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. God knows my heart. And I love the Lord. I pray to Him. I pray every day. I pray probably as much as you. And they use their language to bypass the quality of their life. And they, and they, and they use their language. I had a man stand up in a church when I was preaching Jesus one time. And I mentioned about some sinful stuff. And I got a little strong with some things. And he stood up as a Christian a confessing Christian, he stood up and said, well, he raised his hand, and I said, yes, sir. He said, man, you need a revelation of Christ. And I was the guest speaker at the church, so it was just funny. And I said, really? I said, that's amazing that you said that. What do you mean by that? And everybody's like, oh, my God, what is he doing? He said, man, you need a revelation of Christ. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, why are you even mentioning sin? Why are you even talking about sin? And, uh, and probably read a scripture, something like this. And he said, uh, he said, and I don't remember the details of it, just the scripture came up and he raised his hand, you need a revelation of Christ. I said, man, that's interesting. Explain that. What do you mean? Well, why are you even talking about sin? I mean, Christ came. I'm thinking, yeah, it's the end of sin. I'm thinking, yeah, preach it all the time, right? So I'm thinking, wonder what this guy, how he's mixing up what he's trying to say with what scripture, how he's tying, what mind is he working in? What you have to do when somebody asks a question, what's motivating their question? Because I'm not in the light of where they're coming from and asking that question. I, I have to actually relate to what's motivating the question because I'm like, okay, I agree with everything he's saying. Where's the catch? Yeah. And, and I finally, I said, sir, I don't totally understand what you mean. Try to explain more. Well, it's never ever about sin anymore. He said, he, that's why he came and paid the price, because we're sinners. But he, he covered that for us. I said, oh, and then all of a sudden, boom, the light bulb came on. And I said to him, now this is a man, 
attending church, regular, Christian man in confession. And here's what he said. Now this was his understanding and his lack of understanding. Well, it was more than that because you'll see in a minute. I said, I said, wait a minute. I think now I finally know what you're saying. What you're saying is, why mention sin? Because God knows we're always going to sin. We always have sin. And we always will sin. And that's why he sent Jesus to forgive us because we're sinners. And one day we can rejoice and receive the fullness of his love and be together with him as if we've never sinned even though we've lived a life of sin. He said, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I went, oh my goodness. I said, can everybody turn to Romans 6? And they all turned and I said, what shall we sin then? Shall we continue in sin? So that grace about... Oh, of course not. How shall we who died to sin? So see, here's what he's saying in John. If you say you have fellowship with God and you haven't taken the stewardship of your heart to the place where you've taken account for your life, not works, I'm talking just the stewardship of your heart where you haven't addressed the things that your conscience says aren't God and you just talk around it and say, well, I love God. Well, I'm in fellowship with God. Well, I have a... It says, no, you lie and don't practice truth. The next verse says that if you walk in the light as He's in the light, you have fellowship with one another. A lot of people that have hidden issues, identity crisis, hidden sins, unforgiveness, isolate themselves from people. Don't have open fellowship with one another. Never get hearty. Never let people in. What he's saying is if you guys are in fellowship with God and walking in the light, you will be one big happy family. This is what he's saying. Now watch what this guy did. I said, now watch what happened in this church. It was amazing. And, and the church wasn't very big. And the pastor and his wife were on the front row, right? And this guy's sitting back here. And, and this is the kind of fella I am. And, and I could get questioned on it. I don't know. Time will tell. You'll just see. I, there's a motivation that I understand in my heart. And I'm very confident in some of this stuff. He, 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 he says, I start reading Romans 6. He stands up, veins sticking out of his neck. He says, I will not sit under such level of legalism. I will not be brought back into bondage now that Christ has made me free. I mean, he, he sounded like he was talking real spiritual. I mean, that's his language. I will not be brought back into bondage now that Christ has made me free. I will not sit under heresy and legalism and condemnation like this. And he turned and started storming out of the church. And everybody's looking. The pastor and his wife are looking and they got tears in their eyes. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. And this lady... Very sentimental, very, oh no, went to jump up and run after him in a sentimental heart. And I said, ma'am, stop. I don't suggest that you go after him and touch him in what I see your motivation to be right now. You just want to cradle him and tell him it's okay. It's not okay. And we got to let the Spirit of God convict right now and do some things. And we need to pray right now. Don't you go just sympathetically Go out to him, please. If you want to, you can. I can't control you, but I'm, I'm highly suggesting you don't chase him in the motive that's moving your heart right now. She sat down. I came to found that the night before, the pastor and his wife had a meeting with him, two nights before. Called him to the house and said, we're very concerned about your life and how you're representing Christ. And Regular marijuana smoker, live in fornication relationship, Bar every night after work. Church on Sunday. And they said, we're just very concerned and we don't want you to hear this wrong. We're concerned about what you understand, what you're representing, and just the whole conversion of your life. There's 
There's, there's things. How can we love you? How can we talk? He says, and he didn't want no parts of it. So then when I'm preaching this, he's on guard. And now they bring in a special speaker and I don't know, you know whether he believes or whatever, but now he's defending his life and defining the gospel to suit his life instead of preach the gospel to transform his life. So mad, hostile, angry, accusatory, and and that's not something you can accommodate and just be sympathetic to. There's something that needs to shift there. So that's another example of be careful you don't just embrace the language and ignore and violate the truth of your conscience. You know the Bible actually talks about people that can become seared in their own conscience because they just overlook it and violate it and overlook it and overlook it till it becomes seared. He's not talking about unbelievers, guys. He's talking about people that have become Christians. Paul talks about people that he cries for who have become enemies of the cross. That means they used to not be. Because if you become an enemy and you weren't saved, you were already an enemy. You're always, you become an enemy. It says, whose God is their belly. It means that their, their, their desire of the flesh has overtaken them. They've reverted back to something they're not called to be. And it says their glory is their shame. They've dived back in. Pigs returning to their wallow and dogs eating their vomit. It, there's scripture over and over about these kind of things in the Bible. There's scriptures that tell people that once you're a Christian and you're loving and nurturing and serving your fellow and you look and say his coming's delayed and you begin to beat your fellow servant and you begin to this and that and, and take up the life that he brought you from. It's not a good day. He says, if I build the things that the gospel tore down, I'm found as a transgressor. Paul writes that in Galatians. If I rebuild the very foundations and things that the gospel destroyed, I'm found as a transgressor. Well, you know my heart. I preach we're sons, we're righteous. See, if you stay in the son, righteous place with a sincere heart and communion with God and not just religious language, that can never happen to you. I'm not even afraid of that happening. But that's why you hear me preach steward of the heart all the time, all the time, all the time. Steward of the heart. Come on. It says in Hebrews 2, take earnest heed of the things you've heard, lest they slip away. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 in the beginning, it's not tedious to write the same things to you over and over because to you it's a safeguard. A safeguard for what? So that you don't go back into former things, former ways of thinking, former actions. Now that you're proclaiming, declaring truth, and men identify you as a Christian, and now you don't go in the misrepresentation of life and find some excuse, reason for the flesh, etc., 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 and do great damage to your own soul and the people around you. It says, be careful, a root of bitterness doesn't get formed in one of you, causing a defiling and a ruining, a hurting of the many. Come on. These things are possible. You're the steward of your own life and your own heart. Don't just say, hey, I have relationship with God. Why does the Bible say that if you know God, you'll love? And if you don't love, it's because you don't know God. And eternal life is knowing God. So I don't want to know about God. I want to become love. 
Hello? Come on, we're in 1 John. Just flip there to chapter 4 quick. Actually, stop on the way to 2. 2 on the way. Just stop at 2 once. Verse 3. See, we hear this stuff in an irrelegalism, and we don't understand he's talking all about relationship. He's talking about don't learn to say a language. Learn to live a life. Come on, that shouldn't be hard. Everyone can hear what I'm saying. Don't learn to say a language. Learn to live a life. Because if you're not truly living the life, your language will violate your own conscience and keep you from intimacy with God because deep down in, you know the real deal. It says that men shipwreck their faith for the lack of a clear conscience. But the goal of our instruction is love through a pure heart, clear conscience, and sincere faith. Come on, this thing isn't difficult. Don't make it hard. This thing is so simple. You're the steward of your heart. You take account for your life. Not through the law, not through works, by grace. But the key is that you're sincere without hypocrisy. You're pure. You want God. You want transformation. You've seen the glory of His salvation and His cross. You've seen the great invite to the wedding. And you don't have other things to do, other things to hold on to. You're in. In that heart, God will raise you up in purity. By grace, He will cause you to live a life in Christ. But you have to be in that. All that it requires is one big emphatic, yes, I'm in. And I'm not looking back. Remember Lot's wife? She's, she's, She's rescued from the land that was being destroyed. There's a lot of type and shadow here. I'm not going to take the whole time to get in it, but they're in the midst of sin. The judgment of God's coming upon sin and, 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 and there's righteousness being exercised through Abraham's prayer and Lot, a righteous man, suffering his soul in the atmosphere. And all of a sudden they're delivered out of the effects and judgments of sin. It's a, it's a shadow of salvation. And they're called to go somewhere. They're heading, they're going from here to there. And in the middle, she looks back. And there's attachments, there's things. There's, and right there, when you're looking back, you'll never make it. All of a sudden, she freezes as a pillar of salt between her past and her destiny. Wow. And she's frozen. She's done. She's, there she sits. And Jesus even brings her up when he's preaching and says, remember Lot's wife. He talks about taking the plow and never looking back. Why do we give up our rights and then pick them back up and retain them? Why do we die to ourselves and then resurrect the dead? That's the stuff that causes you to stumble, graze out your conscience, and puts things in question in your own self. Why would Jesus have the scriptures, you know them by their fruit, make a tree good and the, the fruit's good? See? Make a tree good. That means there's hope for every tree. There was a tree they were going to dig out. Do you know that? In Luke, they were going to dig the tree out. And the keeper of the orchard said, No, Master, let's not dig the tree out. Let me dig around the roots and fertilize it. And let's give it a season and see what it does. Ah! It's all about the pure in heart seeing God. It's not about the perfect. It's the pure. The strength of your Christian life is a pure heart. God can work with a pure heart. Oh, you can make mistakes. And mercy is greater. But a pure heart isn't looking for the right to make mistakes. 
And a pure heart understands the gospel and doesn't condemn itself if it's not found perfect because its purity is taking him to perfection. God can work with purity. The goal of our instruction is love through a pure heart. Clear conscience. You will not have one without the other. Thank God for that. Or we'd live in terrible levels of deception. We'd be robotic in things. We would just talk like machines and live like something else. We would just learn the language and the language would take the place of knowing Him. So everything I'm talking about right now is actually thank God it's this way. Thank God that it's not about me saying I love you. It's about me living I love you. Because talk is cheap. How's that? Come on, don't tell me you can't go to church, sing all the right songs, pray all the right prayers and be at every altar and still talk cheap. That's your place to get real with you and real with your heart. When that man stands up, he is, he is embracing a belief to defend his passion, his desire, and there's something that needs to die, be repented of. There could be deep hurts and wounds that's allowing him to feel like he has a right. But somewhere along the line, something is twisted. Who would agree? Now, now, it could mean a lot of... We're not, we're not always... We're not in a position... I'm not to dissect that and judge that man. It's just obvious that he's using a definition and interpretation of Scripture to qualify a life that he doesn't want to change. Now, that's obvious. And you can't accommodate it. So, I looked at... He walks out the church. And, and I'm just me, you know. I, I want to cry for him. I'm ready to intercede. I'm, and I look at them and they're sitting crying. The pastor's wife. And I said... And you know, sometimes God will just need a little bit of a lighthearted moment so you can even pray in faith. You know what I mean? It's like because you're, you get so tired, so feel so heavy. And I looked at him and I was like, Oh, that was horrible. Because I'm thinking of the state of that man and his soul and I'm thinking of him and where that's leading him and just, uh, I mean, that kind of moment right there will give him a right to just go drink a few more beers. And I looked at the pastor and his wife and I said, hey guys, I'm sorry. I mean, I realize there's not a whole lot of folks here to begin with and I sure didn't come to run anybody off. I apologize. We need to pray. And they said, no, no. It's... And well, they began to tell me the story and the dilemma they've had. And they said, when I got on this topic, they were like, oh my, because they haven't told me nothing. I don't know nothing. And isn't it amazing? The topic I start on. Yeah. And you know, and, 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 and you know, the human mind, you can say, yeah, but he just thinks that, well, the human mind always thinks that. It's, 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 it's a trap. You can yield your mind to that kind of stuff. And, and let it be a detriment. Your mind, let the devil have access. You could sit and believe, well, somebody told them that. The reason they're praying that over me is because they probably talked to Sandy. I was in a house one day. Guy was dying. I walked in the house. He's a Catholic man. Or the, he was. He was converted. He believed Christ. I mean, not that Catholics aren't saved. He was one that got converted that was just Catholic by tradition and came to the knowledge of Christ and his whole family was still traditionally Catholic, didn't want nothing to do with this whole conversion, born again experience. Hey, we're Catholic, that's good enough. And then they didn't even go to Mass anymore. They haven't been in a Catholic Mass for years and years, I found out. And, but they were just riding on the identity of, hey, we have Catholic heritage and everything's good. That's just what they were doing. Here's this fella, he's dying. He's, he's, on, he's released from the hospital because uh, he doesn't want to die in the hospital. They take him off the life support and said, you won't live but about 24 hours, uh, but we can let you go home if that's your wish. That's my wish. 
Six days later, seven days later, he's sitting on the couch, holding on to life, waiting for a priest, is what the family called it. He's waiting for a man of God to come and set things in order so that he can die in peace, believing that his family will be well. He needed a faith, a contact faith that his family... He's holding on to the will to live because of his love for family. It's bizarre that people can care that much and have that ability that God grants. I love it. So I walk in the house and the whole family's there waiting for this poor fellow for six, seven days. He's like... I mean, this is horrible. And you think about healing and all this stuff. I mean, yeah, I think about healing and all this stuff. But I walk in the house and I look at him on the couch and I said, you're obviously so. And so he said, yes, yes, sir. And I said, it's amazing. I said, because you're not afraid to die. And the family's like, who is this cuckoo? (laughs) Here I am and I'm supposed to come and do, they told me to come and read his last rites. Well, his last rites is to have the desire of his heart and it was the redemption of his family, so I came to secure that. I'm not thinking thinking some traditional cliche. (laughs) I looked at him and that's what came out of my spirit. I didn't plan this. I didn't find that in a textbook. To walk in there and say, you're not afraid to die. Here's the whole family crying, baggy-eyed. They're waiting for him to die. Some of them are probably thinking, would you just die already and we'll try to get over it. This is getting serious. He's sitting there. And I said, it's amazing because you're not afraid to die. He said, no, sir, I'm not. I said, why aren't you afraid to die? He said, because the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I walked up to him. I was tears in my eyes. I said, that's an amazing answer. Took his chin. I said, you believe that? He said, yes, sir. I said, peace come to you in Jesus' name. Father, thank you right now. And this man stopped shaking, stopped stuttering, stopped. He's skin and bone, but he stopped all the stuff and he could just talk plain. It was so cool. And I'm like, yeah. I said, well, it raises an amazing question then in my heart. If you're not afraid to die, why are you holding on for six, seven days? And why are you struggling like this to stay alive? Wow. And I smiled. And all of a sudden, boom. Looked to his wife. I said, honey. I said, there's a lot going on in your heart towards the Lord. You're holding him responsible for this. You're right. I'm holding. Who does God think? He, he gives you a husband, then takes a husband. And this and ten years ago. And, and I'm done with God. She just flew out of her life. And it was all rational, right? And I said, wow, honey. And I stayed real soft. And I knelt down. I said, look at your husband. Do you know why he's holding on all these days? Because he knows where your heart is. And he wants to go in faith and know that you have a heart towards God because God is God. And he's amazing. I said, honey, you haven't understood. You don't even read your Bible, do you? I said, you've been presumptuous. I'm telling you, you don't even read your Bible. You're just trapped in man's mind. Consider this. And I shared two or three sentences. She started bawling. I said, honey, you've judged God and you're the clay. And you have enough in your Catholic background to know that there's a reverence towards God and you've allowed your heart to get so hard. You can't even believe in faith. You can't even this and that. You've been robbed. And I'm, she's bawling. I said, give me your hands. Come on. I know you want to change this. I do. I do. I'm sorry, Lord. She's already, I'm sorry, Lord. She looks at her husband. I'm sorry. He's like, oh, one down, a few to go. 
<laughs> it's exactly what was happening. So, bam. Another I won't take it's too long of a story, but awesome stuff happened. You love stories, but stuff happened. It's awesome. There's so many stories, it's ridiculous. It's just God, it's living in Christ. And boom, 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 and these other things happen. And then I looked at this young man, and he's just standing over by the side. Real young. I said, son. He's like, oh, don't even try to pull nothing on me. He's like, he doesn't even want me. I said, it's all right, buddy. I just need to ask you a question. I said, I see in my heart. And I said, this might get uncomfortable because they might be in the room, but I'm just this kind of guy because I hear this strong. There's a real hardness in your heart towards your parents. And something's not good and it's binding your life. It's robbing you of who you are. There's this deep hardness. I see it right now inside. What do you mean you see it? I see it in my spirit. God's showing me. Your heart's been very hurt and very hard because of your parents. And I know it might be uncomfortable. Are your parents in the room? And these two people over there, mom and dad, going. And I said, your relationship, you guys can bear witness this. Is it good? What, does this make sense? They said, our relationship is awesome with him. And I said, well, guys, I know I'm hearing this from the Lord and I'm not going to double take or back down. There's a severe hardness that's binding this young man's heart. It's making him bitter inside and giving him the right to be a lot of things that he's not created for. And it's anger driving him. And I said, so somebody needs to tell me what's going on. Because I know that's happening. And they said, well, I don't know if this matters, but he is adopted. We, are, we adopted him. I'm like, oh, hello? <laughs> and I said, son, isn't that awesome? I said, see, deep down in your heart, you've never forgiven your parents for producing you and not taking the responsibility and you've taken it a hit as your identity. You're kicking against the bricks. You're, you're, you're living from the tough side of it all. And I said, and God doesn't, it's not the truth. I wonder if it's just the weakness of, of adolescence, the weakness of just young people getting in over their head and it has nothing to do with your value. It has to do with where people are when they get beyond their ability to be responsible and you're taking it personal as if you're not valued, as if they didn't love you. You might be amazed how their hearts break years down the road. You might be amazed as they grow and mature how things change and regrets. And here you are all along taking it. And I'm talking sense to this young man. And I said, doesn't that mean anything to you? That God Almighty would show me the deep condition? Because he said, I'll just, I'm not trying to be rude. I don't even talk this way, but I feel like he just said, well, just pisses me off. That's what he said. And I said, listen, man. And he was just getting real with me. What he was telling me is what you're seeing is really there. So when I brought that to light and I said, don't you, doesn't that mean anything to you that I come walking in this house? And I talked to your grandmother and, and this happened and that happened and then I talked to you. Doesn't that affect you that God knows you that this is? He said, no. I said, that's amazing to me. That's, that has no effect that, that God is. He said, well, no. It's because you probably talked to Uncle Randy. I said, so you're going to throw this all away because you think I talked to Uncle Randy. And Randy goes, hey, we didn't, don't go there, man. He didn't say, no, don't you miss this. This is God. I don't believe you. I think you set me up. So that natural belief, there's always a way out. Unbelief, it's always just that way out. So what do you do? You minister, you 
be sincere and you believe God makes sense out of it even though it looks like it's not impacting. Who knows that whatever I do shall prosper. Who knows God's bigger than that deception right there. And poor Randy, he's trying to, no, what? He got emotional and started to cry because he was feeling like the guy was throwing away the most God moment in his life. It was just through presumption. You know, the amazing thing was about the scenario, and I understand healing and the power of God, and, but I never really, I was so caught up with the whole spiritual movement, I got out on the sidewalk and was leaving, and the granddaughter was really crying, and she said, she uh, came out, and I was getting in my truck, and I said, are you okay? She said, no, I'm really mad at you. <laughs> I said, why, honey? She said, because... I see what just happened. Everything got in set in order and Grandpa's going to die now and I'm going to miss him. That's what she said to me. I'm really mad at you. I said, honey, he was a shaking, struggling, hurting man moments ago. His heart is so alive. Don't you get selfish on me, girl. Thank God for the memory of your Grandpa and thank God that you can follow truth and bring honor to his heart and his legacy. And da-da-da-da-da. 20 minutes after I pulled out of their house, he was dead. 20 minutes. This thing's real. It's overwhelming. It's all about love. It's all about God. It's a, I don't know about you, but that's an amazing story. Are you all all right? Are you a mess all now? Do we have you go? There's so many tears up here, man. We could just sell it like bottled water or something. <laughs> They're all... No, she did. She, she perceived what was happening. She's a teenager. She came running up to me and said, I'm really mad at you. I was honored to do his funeral. And you know what I did? I brought his whole family, the funeral, into the living room and called them all the truth. Oh, it was fun. You know what happened when I pulled up at the funeral? The granddaughter came running across the parking lot and just held me in her arms. Because she got a grip on the beauty and glory of what took place. Isn't that good? And then I got to do the funeral and call the whole family into his heart for them. That a man would care so much and believe something so much that he could defy death and hold on to life until his heart had a level of faith in it and, and a seed planted to where he could let go trusting God. To me, that stuff is incredible. They're done. They're, they are so toasted, you ought to see them. It is all good. Because see, that to me is love. Well, I don't know about you. And I'm not saying, you know, I don't remember what was causing him to die. I know he was well up in years. And I don't know if it was failure of respiratory. I don't know what was going on. I remember he was on air oxygen but we took that off and he was breathing fine and he looked like he was fine and uh, but we ministered to the whole family and then he did pass in 20 minutes which is amazing I don't know about you but you paint a picture who would you rather be there on that couch somebody with the integrity of an honor of love to hold on to life for the sake of your family just to know in your heart you care so much about their longevity because something's so real to you you so want it for them Versus having one, even one ugly issue while you're sitting there. One unresolved conflict. One judgment. One presumption towards a person. One regret. One, you know what I'm saying? 
Why would you want to be in that position and have anything of the flesh there when you could actually be perfected in love? I don't know about you, but see, that's the choice you have to get in that river and let him grow you up into him in all things. See, I'm not talking perfection. I'm talking purity. See, because here, 1 John 2 says this. By this we say we know that we know him. By this we say that we know that we know him. In other words, this is what marks our language, we know him. We say we know him, but this is what marks that we say that we know him. That's what that says. <laughs> He's taking you beyond language to life lived. He says that we keep his commandments. Well, you can hear that and that sounds legalistic. No, I love him. That's why I love him. I keep his commandments. Why do you keep his commandments? Because I love him. It says his commandments aren't burdensome. His way is right and righteous. He's amazing. It costs me everything. Everything that I never was created to be. What's the big deal? Give it up. It came from the devil. It came from the fall of man. It came from Adam. Degenerate. Give it up. What are you holding it on to? What he, all he's asking you to give is what you never were. Ah! There's a good one, Jenny, for rights. We, we, we gained all these rights through sin. And when man fell, we got all these rights incorporated into our self-centered beings. And Jesus says, what a lie. If you're coming after me, deny yourself. Every hurt, every pain, every disappointment, every discouragement comes from that. And that's what we won't face. We give permission to be certain ways because of circumstances. And we define the circumstances to justify the outcome and remain the same even though Christ came. <laughs> Y'all alright? It's true. I've given up my rights. I'll take you in a minute, Carol. Watch this. By this we know Him. By Watch. By this we know. Sounds like an assurance kind of thing. By this we know that we know Him. It's not because I say I know Him. <laughs> it's because I'm living His Word. See, it keeps my own soul accountable. It keeps me from becoming religious. That is awesome. Thank God He gives me those little measuring sticks to keep my heart alive and real. So I'm never just a Pharisee. I'm never just somebody going through the motions. Or I'm never just sad, you see. Right? Sad and you see. Serious. We have enough people that are sad and you see. It's joy unspeakable. It's great tidings. It's good tidings of great joy. Why do we reserve a right to have a low countenance? Why do we justify being less than what this says we've become? And then rationalize it and justify it. Why not let grace overtake us and enter into a realm we were created for that we might not have seen yet, but it's there because He says it is. Why don't faith take us there? Why do we so hold on to our own experience, our own identity, our own mentality apart from Him and, 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 and level it off into something less than what might be possible? 
If he says to walk in love, we can walk in love. If he says forgive, we can forgive. If he says to make peace, we can make peace. Right? Yeah. Oh, come on. By this, he throws so many little measuring sticks out in these chapters. By this, we know that we know. <laughs> Do you hear that? <laughs> Put yourself in there. Put me in there. By this, Dan knows that Dan knows. Because I keep his what? Commandments. He who says, I know him and doesn't keep his commandments, strong language it sounds, huh? Is a liar and the truth is not in him. See, some people have a need to talk spiritual and affirm spiritual things because in that they get superficially surface affirmed without ever dealing with life and heart and still hold on to rights and things and stuff and you're only hurting yourself. And what God's saying, because He loves you, is get real, go deeper, and let the proof be in the pudding. It's where the rubber meets the road. It's more than a confession. It's a life lived. It's a heart given. And this intimacy that we're going to get into, obviously not today, is, is this intimacy is what takes us there. And watch this. This intimacy is another measuring stick. This intimacy is, is it, it gives you so much boldness and confidence because you're seeking Him, you want Him, you know Him. You don't have another agenda. You're not trying to incorporate Him into your life. He's become your everything. Come on. When two people are in love, when they say, Oh, I love you, I love you, especially when they're young and it's their first love. I mean, come on, it's ridiculous. They can't let each other alone. They're eating food off each other's plate. They don't mind taking each other's gum. Right? I'm being real. Why? Because I just love you. Oh, I love you too. Right? <laughs> but we think there's expressions of love. Come on. One sign of knowing Him is, I love you. I love you. I don't want to go out today without you. Come on. When you think you're in young love and you have to go away for a weekend, you're about dying because I'm not with you. Freddie, I love you. I can't believe you. Oh, I can't believe I'm not going to be having fun. I'm going to think I have fun, but I'm not going to be with you. This is the first time we've been apart. I don't want to go call me, text me constantly. Believe me. And then two days later, oh, <laughs> oh, I love you. I miss you so much. Come on. Is it that goofy and crazy sometimes? Yes. Wonder if... <laughs> Am I messing up bad? I know you're all awake. <laughs> Wonder if we're in love. Well, I don't go anywhere without you. Why would I go without you? In fact, if you don't go, I'm not going. God, I don't, I don't live for you. I live through you. I'm not living for you. I'm, I'm with you. I'm, you're in me. We're together. Why would I get in my truck and go without you? Your ways and who you are. Your ways and who you are is what makes me love you. And I want you and I want all that you are to be in me. I yield myself to you. You're my everything. Wonder if I'm in love. <gasps> Wonder if I couldn't go away for a week without him. Because I love him. 
What if I couldn't just take a sabbatical from him and chill and, hey, we just need space. Just, hey, things ain't working out in a relationship a little. Let's just take some space. Find ourselves. <coughs> Wonder if I can't do that now because I found myself. Take space? What? Are you kidding me? No. I would die. Wonder if it can be that incredible, guys. Wonder if we're so into making it happen this way in the fuzzy feely that we never take the time to cultivate our spirit and get truth and reality that'll keep us for the rest of our life in the healthiest, most amazing free place that was ever designed for us by God. Wonder if we're selling so cheap through natural experience and never cultivating our spirit to enter into something that's always been there from the beginning. <laughs> you following me? Wonder if I'm in love. Wonder if that's all that's wrong with me. <laughs> Call it anything you want, but wonder if it's love. Wonder if he doesn't just love me. Wonder if I love him because I've allowed him to love me. Wonder if I've said yes to his love and my heart goes, You're awesome. <laughs> wonder if my heart says, You're amazing. There's none like you. No one compares to you. You're more precious than gold or silver. I could search and find no one like you. Wonder if we're in love. Wonder if we're not just in doctrine and theology and trying to be Christians. Wonder if we're in love. And wonder if what we've seen and handled and touched, we declare so that the fellowship we have, you can have too. My hairs are standing up. At least they feel like it. <laughs> Carol, you had a hand up. Does it still fit? Do you? Huh? Do you? Are you okay? Do you want? Um, <laughs> you soaking in that whole thing? <laughs> yeah, you really. She's sitting back here like this. Tears are running. She was so cute. She's like. <laughs> she's mesmerized. She's. A, it's, captivated. It's it's hard for uh, I don't know. It's hard for me myself as a parent when I have a son who's away. Okay. And he has uh, he has like a a confession type thing he has to do with his um, peers up there. Like he has to really spew out everything that he's been all his life. Mm -hmm. And I know once once he does this, he'll be so free. But how can I, as a mother, encourage him to just keep on keeping on? Because where he's at, there's nobody up there for him to fellowship with. And there's so many rules. Did you, ever, did you ever hear these testimonies about people say, you know, I was this, I was in the hardest place in my life, but my mama or yeah. my grandmama, yeah. I know that. Now listen, now watch, and I'm not correcting you with the cameras, I'm not being, I'm not being insensitive to you, because when, when, you hear this language a lot, and it's real, you're being real, so I commend you for that. When you say it's really hard, this and this, I want all of us to make sure that we look at a place where we can release faith. And I'm not saying that we can't face struggles and, and say that it's been hard. But when you settle that it's hard, 
you're going to continue to get overwhelmed by the natural reality of things. Now watch this. I know it's been hard in what you're trying to say. So I'm not being word critical with you. Here's what I'm saying. You'll catch this. You get a vision for what God's doing. You see your boy for who he is apart from all this natural knowledge, natural reality. Because the work of Holy Spirit, the prayers of a mother, intercession, and the supernatural is way greater than everything that's trying to grab your mother heart. You have a greater vision. You have a bigger vision. You're seeing this even as a season in time to reap and cultivate the rest of his life. You're making those declarations. You're actually rejoicing and you're actually thanking God that he's marking your son and his hands upon his life and that you're putting a care in him that is so healthy that's leading him to your throne that God, you're securing his identity and you're working in him and that Father, rather than being pulled down by the atmosphere, you're sharpening him and you're showing him what's not in the light of what is and and I promise you when there's faith in your heart and vision for your son it's not as hard as we all want to say it is because God and his way is greater than the flesh challenge that I so understand what you're saying but isn't it different than that there's a higher so what I'm encouraging you in Carol is not just fixing on the natural reality of what your son's facing and what it seems like, okay? But thank God that this is a season of life, that His grace is greater, that even the Lord attaches people to Him that encourage, that there is like faith that comes into His life, that He's not alone. And above all, I know you're in Him. God, let Him begin to hear your voice like never before. I rejoice in the work you're doing in my Son. See, that's faith. That sure beats tending to look this way, think the worst. Oh God. Then your prayers are all reduced to desperate cries because you're seeing the worst. You see what I'm saying? So I'm not correcting them. I'm trying to help you see in an eye that's bringing life and light to your own heart so that when you pray, it's not just a hurting mother. Even though there's God's merciful, God's amazing. Who knows He can hear the cry of a hurting mother. But the level that you have the Word in you, young lady, and the way, the way that God has sown into your life, I know that He would be privileged to have you rise up and just proclaim and declare and hold fast the identity of your son in the midst of turmoil and watch grace come on His life. You follow me? That's your privileged place. And that's where I believe He's raising you to. And you're strong enough for me to talk to you this way. You're hearing me, right? Good. You should have saw her when I was talking about this. I'm in love, man. She's just, she had her head cocked. You're so precious. I see, I see a bunch of... Huh? Are you kidding me? No, why didn't anybody tell me what time it was? You guys are like, okay with it? No, I got to quit. Oh my goodness. Actually, I do have to... Oh. You know the preaching's good when you have no idea what time it is. I never looked. I was so into this. I still wanted to go so... I guess we'll have to come back tomorrow. There's a lot of hands. I really can't take no more questions. I didn't have no... I'm sorry. If you have a scheduled time, I really... You got to say something? Shout something or what? For her? Yeah. Okay. Well, do you want to give it to her personally or do you feel like it's corporately needed because it will all grab something from it? Yeah, I, yeah. Speak it out quick, but just be... Yeah, I'm not my, rushing you, but... Right. My oldest son is in the, in the military and... Oh, he here was, you go. That's good. Yeah. He was, he was over in Afghanistan and he was... His unit... I have to be careful how I say this. No, I... Yeah. But they were, they were put in position that nobody should be put in. And... 24 of the guys came back with Purple Hearts. 
24 guys got wounded, got hit. One guy had his chest blown apart. They walked into one building and one guy stepped on a detonator. There was nine bombs in that room, in that building. The detonator went off. Right. Blew the guy's foot off, blew him through the building. Not one of them bombs went off. My son came home unscathed. Why? Because of the prayers of his parents. It's real. It's really real. It's really real. And it's real in the light of not just because there's need, trouble, and your child's in a tough place. It's real because of destiny, created purpose. Your, your motive in praying is because of the value and the longevity of your child, not just the parental connection. It's so much bigger yet. You know what I'm saying? And the part that says it's really hard when we totally understand what you mean, and a lot of us would say it the same way, so I'm not crit being critical with you. What I'm saying is shifting that into, you know what, I see it bigger than it seems, and there's a bigger picture in God you're moving, and, how, and the prayers, and there's a great grace that comes on very tough situations. Why? Because we believe and we're saved by grace through faith. Okay? So look, I love you guys. I need to let you know this. I have to, I usually make myself super available. You guys know that? Every once in a while I'll need to roll. I got my granddaughter at home. Yeah, take your communion thing. Would you do this? Take your communion thing with you. I'll tell you what. Yeah, take it with you. I was going to say we could, because there was a place we were going to do it today if we got there, but we didn't get there. So obviously I don't know what I'm doing. So, which is good. That's a really good thing. Because if I had this thing all planned out, it would probably be pretty dry and meticulous. But take this with you and find a time. Seriously, this is like homework assignment for class. No. Take this with you and find a time where it's just you, just alone, with no distraction. And just pop this off and hold up the body and just thank Him and get in a personal place and receive communion. Whether it's two minutes, five minutes, or turns into two hours, it doesn't weigh your spirituality. Just do it from the heart. Okay? But I need to shoot out of here. Uh, is your honey here? Is he bringing, taking you home? Or why don't you find out in Destiny? If you're going with me, I need to know. Or do you have a ride? You have a ride? Because I, I just ask you to please love me. I got my little granddaughter waiting for me at home. And I just got to go see her. Uh, time's been fast and I want to take advantage of that. So thanks for releasing me to go be with my little girl. And I can catch up with questions and people tomorrow. Okay? Okay, bless you, love you all. Well, just uh, sit tight, <laughs> and we'll be ready. Okay, I can turn it over to Pastor Dan. All right. Wave a bit, all right. <laughs> Goodness. Uh, hold your communion elements. We're probably going to do that a little bit later. For some reasons, it just feels right in my heart. So, did you hear I have permission, Randy, to wander so that people can sit? Because if I stay in one place, they're going to have to stand forever. <laughs> when I, who was here Sunday and had Pastor Don's fence sermon? That was pretty cute. I came in this morning and they had the fence right here. That's, that's where the fence was. <laughs> it was right there. Is that funny or what? <laughs>
<laughs> so, but Pastor Don did a sermon not to carry offense. <laughs> offense, offense. He carried offense around and preached. It was really good. You guys doing good? Go to Psalms 1 with me. We're going to... Uh, we're going to talk about really communing with the Lord, growing in a God reality. Wouldn't that be fun? Get to know God more where He doesn't feel far away or seem far away. Where actually by faith you begin to pursue Him. And, and He begins to get more real and more real. So you don't live out of the thoughts of your mind or the feelings of your emotions, but the reality of your heart. It's never said with the mind a man believes, with the heart a man believes. Come on, it's a big deal. We've lived from our heads our whole lives and our feelings and our emotions. True? Yeah. And in Christianity, you live from the truth of the Word of God. Period. It's that adamant. Period. You get it? Till things get reconstructed, revamped, things just come alive. All of a sudden, you cha it changes. You, you're changed. Communing with the Lord is a beautiful thing. It's probably not... We're probably told we should spend time with God, but a lot of times people don't even know what that really looks like. Or it just kind of... And some people might know, and it might feel like a, a refresher course this morning. If so, that's great. The gospel doesn't ever get old. It's never about a fresh word. It's always fresh. Amen? I could just stand up here and tell you how much God loves you every day, and we'd do well. <laughs> well, we'd do well if we believe it. Amen? <clears throat> so we're going to talk about communion with God. Uh, when I first got saved, went to church a lot through my life. Who went to church a long time in this room that you went a long time and it was just the right thing to do, but God really wasn't close to your heart. He was kind of out there somewhere. Who has that experience in their lives? There's a lot of folks like that. I find that there's a lot of folks still like that in their lives. They're still looking for that God reality. So we're going to talk about communion with the Lord because when I got saved... The Spirit of God, now, I, now, okay. I share my testimony when we got saved. It, was, it, was, it seemed very sovereign. It was, obviously, it was full of grace. It was a divine experience. It was. But there was response on my part when I got saved. And, and, and the main part that I see was a surrender of myself. Like God brought me to a place where I had this option opportunity, privilege to die, to not want to live from my heart, in my heart, to not want to live the life that I was looking at that was called me right now. The motives of my heart, just the mess. I saw it for what it was. It wasn't a pretty picture. And in my heart, I was like, I don't ever want to live that again. And I took that want to this way in a heart cry. That's prayer. But I'm so serious that I don't want that. It wasn't the language. It wasn't, well, I don't want to live for me. Yes, I do. <laughs> it was, I don't want that. Okay? One thing that you can find in communion with God when you start to pursue Him, your heart will get fine-tuned. I know people that didn't have the experience I had where they didn't really, they kind of see themselves as they go. And things pop up. And then they start letting things go. Okay? But I promise you, if you'll start doing what we're going to talk about today, and I don't know if it'll go into tomorrow or what, but that process will happen. <laughs> okay? 
I don't believe you're in the school because you're not sincere. All, that, all that's required is sincerity of heart. It's not works that saves you, right? It's grace through faith. But sincerity of heart is a big deal. The pure in heart see God. Every one of you is the steward of your heart. You're the one that determines what you do from within. Are you following me with this? And as truth comes to our life, and even if we hear it as truth and have other desires, we have the privilege to begin to align ourselves to truth. It can feel like works, in a sense, if you're just trying to do what you know is right, but you want to do something else. I'm not talking about that, and today you'll see. I'm talking about relationship with God. Taking the truth this way and allowing to truth to get bigger in your heart than these desires till they dissipate and truce your reality. Where you're not biting your lip to live a Christian life, it becomes who you are. And you just wake up and your heart's constrained by Him, compelled by Him, whatever words you want to use. Are you following what I'm saying? And, we're, and this is the beauty of communing with the Lord and becoming one with Him that way. Now, I got, I, I really do believe one reason that I shot up and grew fast and people were asking if I was a pastor. I was only several weeks old in the Lord. It was funny. We were still joined at a public pool and that year because we used to take the kids there. They were little and, and, uh, and I got saved in the early summer. So we were already members, paid for a membership. So I would take the kids over to the pool. My wife and I were kind of on different tracks at that point and so I was just over there with the kids but I would get a crowd around me at my towel it just would happen it, just, it was crazy how it happened I'm just a couple weeks old in the Lord but I was excited and things would change and people would ask me some people would say crazy stuff like man what's going on with you you just seem so different and I'm like really what do you mean well i I don't know, you're smiling a lot, you just seem different. You look, I see, well, I had lost 45 pounds in a matter of six, seven weeks. You, I see you've lost a lot of weight, you got yourself trimmed down, and, and, but you just, you just seem different. You look like you feel so good about yourself, and, da, 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 and people were saying stuff like that. And I'd say, well, let me tell you. Well, then I would start pouring out my heart. Well, they would talk at the pool. They would talk to each other. Next thing you know, there's questions. And I'm just a couple weeks old in the Lord, and I would be getting questions like, what about this? And it was amazing how it seemed like I could answer. (laughs) But I was feeding on the Word. I mean, I'm laying there on the towel. The kids are playing, and I'm reading my Bible and just, God. And... and, uh, But just in a matter of weeks, I had a crowd around me at the pool. Now, I believe a lot of that was because on June 9th, when I got saved, there was a grace and an understanding of my life. I saw it so clear. I literally died. Who, know, who knows who Catherine Coleman was? You know, she used to say, I can take you to the place where Catherine Coleman died. She used to make that comment. And I remember that. That sticks with me. I just remember that because I've watched a couple of takes. Well, I could do the same thing and I understand the importance of that. That's cool. Now, if you can't necessarily do that, there is a place for dying, whether it's... A, Now, I know along the way we get fine-tuned and groomed by God. I'm talking about those surrender. I just, God, I'm yours. Man, grow me, mature me, lead me, guide me. I'm yours. Let all that's in you be in me. I give you who I am. I would talk like that all the time to the Lord. So, and we'll get into this today. But, But that was one of the reasons that I know that I grew so fast because I, I just, I gave him... Everything to work with is what I'm saying. There wasn't a stumbling block. There wasn't a, well, I want you, but. 
Well, I want all of you except. It wasn't any awareness like that in my life. I wasn't holding on to any rights. I wasn't holding on to anything. I just said my life is yours. You all follow me? That's the big deal. You can do that when you get alone with him. Along the way, I remember God showing me things. And, 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 and I remember laying on my... Uh, my uh, uh, well, I, I laid down and I said, Lord... I just, I just don't want anything to hinder knowing you, hinder the expression of who you are in my life, da-da-da. I just give myself to you. I know there's a way for you to just come into me even more and express yourself in more reality. I was seeking that. And I said, if there's any ways I think, if there's any ways you search me, you know, and bring it to my attention. But God, I just love you. I'm pursuing you. So I wouldn't introspect my life in a negative view. It was always upbeat and positive. You love me. You're doing an amazing work in my life. My life is yours. Now, I found along the way, if what I was saying wasn't the whole truth, God would illuminate a little thing. Or That day on the chair, I don't even share these two things because of the condemnation factor possible. He shared two little things the way I thought. And when he spoke them to me, I realized they were limiting. But if, if he'd have spoken to me two months before, I'd have thought, well, what's wrong with that? It's just a way of thinking, you know. And if you share some of that stuff premature, that was a something I grew into. That was a year after I was saved. See, there's, there's just a, there is a sanctifying. There is a growing up into Him in all things. There's a, and, and it's like that mindset was there and He never exposed it until I got to this certain point to where I could really hear it and see it for what it was. Then it wasn't a struggle. It wasn't a condemning factor. It, wasn't, it was right on time. Do you see what I'm saying? Now, it didn't stop the grace of God because the whole time my heart's pure and there was an ignorance there. It wasn't willfulness. It was just a way that seemed right to a man. It was just something. It was just natural knowledge. And it was just... Isn't that amazing? So, so the Lord, I'm laying out on some chairs, flat, talking to Him like that, and I just began to worship Him, and these two little thought patterns rose up in my heart. And it was God answering my prayer. And it's just awesome, because as soon as you see it, when you're in that place of surrender, you go, duh. Well, Lord, I thank you. That is, oh, I don't reserve the right to that. I don't even want to thank you for showing me. And then all of a sudden, I saw how Scripture changes the way we think, and then I apply that in prayer. You see what I mean? And that's how you change. So let's get into something here. I'm just laying a little groundwork of just the joy of growing in Him. I believe Holy Spirit wants to lead us into fellowship with God. He literally led me into my bedroom. That was where I went. He led me into my bedroom when I got saved and began to teach me communion with the Lord. I didn't have Christian relationships. I didn't have strong fellowship in a church. I just went to work and got saved. I hadn't gone to church for years. So I didn't have spiritual father I didn't have mentors I had the Bible I had Holy Ghost and I had a pure heart a heart that's been changed that's all I had that was so more than enough <laughs> so I wasn't limited amen in fact it's like he had me do you get what I'm saying he had me so he can work with that so surrender and yieldedness is a big deal let's read this we're going to talk about communion with God okay Bless Psalms 1, you there? I was tempted to go to John 17 quick, but we're going to read Psalms 1 since we're here. I'm not going to mess with you. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. It's amazing. In his law, he meditates day and night. That doesn't mean 
He's sitting in a chair reading the Bible 24-7. Because <laughs> you can't do that, probably. <laughs> See, sometimes we, get, we don't realize how rigid we get with stuff. We say, well, I can't spend time with the Lord. You're with the Lord. He's with you. So just one little mentality, I can't spend time with the Lord. I have a lot of people say, well, with my work schedule, my life, and my family, I just don't have any time with the Lord. And I'm like, well, He's in you. He's in you. So He's already with you. <laughs> you don't have to go meet Him. You don't have to drive across town. I'm not being cynical. I'm, I'm trying to make this so you don't ever think that way if you were thinking that way. You're with Him. He's with you. Yeah, but you don't understand. I this and this and this. And I'm thinking, no, that's a mindset that's telling you why you can't be what your heart's crying out to be. See what I'm saying? Come on. You can be like super busy with your life and schedule for seasons. And he's right here. He's, he becomes, he's a relationship. He becomes your mindset, the way you think and, and live. All of a sudden, everything's just everything's realigned through Him. So even no matter how busy you are, you can't even think in a way that's stressful, frustrating, anything, because you're looking through truth. That's the whole goal of communion and fellowship, where two become one, where you're actually looking through His eyes and, and, and living through His wisdom. You follow what I mean? But if you start saying stuff like, well, I can't, I don't have time to spend with the Lord, you have a wrong concept. You're thinking of making an appointment with God and He doesn't fit into your current busy schedule. <laughs> We're not making appointments with the Lord. We're walking with Him. Amen? So to meditate day and night in, in, in the Lord, meditate, there's an outward utterance, there's a muttering, there's a musing. Meditation, it's not... You know, it's not something to be afraid of. <laughs> Meditation is like, is, is just pondering, continually mindful, going over and over again within, even uttering outward. Now you can do that, you can do that over scripture, you can do that and be impersonal, you can do that and be personal. If it has to do with the word, it, it, it's all good in the long run, but I like to do it and be personal. I like to talk to the Lord. I don't talk about scripture in my heart. I talk to the Lord. I'm not a big confession sheet guy. I'm just not. I've been around confession sheets and confession sheet mentalities. And, and, and people's ability to quote the word takes the place of knowing God. And if their confession isn't coming to pass, there's all kinds of craziness, insecurity, condemnation, works... I'm not a big confession sheet guy. As much as the word's anointed and the word's powerful, I am not a fan. I'm personally not a fan. I'm not telling you there's anything that, that, that you can't get out of it. I'm personally not a fan of just taking the scripture, walking the floor, and reading what it says. I take what it says and commune it with God. And I'm a big fan of that. I, 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 would, I would never hand you a confession sheet. I'm just not, I'm not there. I feel like it puffs us up in knowledge and it gets us to think that to quote the word is to know the word and because we quoted it, something has to happen. And I see a lot of disappointment and hurt in the church and I see a lot of people confused and troubled and they say, well, I did this for six months and I quoted the scripture every day. Why haven't I seen the breakthrough? Well, you probably haven't even received the love of God and been sure He's with you and for you. You're just getting into works and you're using a principle to get a result. And it's very impersonal. 
And I'm just not a fan of confession sheets. So, yeah. Whoa, man, make some enemies on that one. I'm just not. And uh, because I don't see it draw us closer to the knowledge of God. We know what His Word says. But sometimes knowing what His Word says can be your stumbling block because it's not your experience. It's not your reality. And now you're frustrated. There's this inner frustration. And then all you're seeking from then on is motivated by the frustration instead of His love. You're not even drawn to Him. Am I making sense? Or is this too challenging for you? Because I've never said it that adamant before, especially with a film running. But I'm not a big fan of confession sheets and I feel happy saying it over and over for some reason this morning. <laughs> You've caught it on video. <laughs> Who knows? You hold fast the confession of your faith and all that good stuff. I understand where we get the concept from. What that means is you don't let your heart shift and turn and you let the words of your mouth continue to come out of the belief of your heart and don't let anything have that. It doesn't mean turn it into a robotic performance of quotation. Like, I don't even read my Bible to memorize it. I read it to know Him. These little motives mean everything. You can't rise above what motivates you. We pursue knowledge, and knowledge can puff you up, and you think to know is to grow. No, to know Him is to be transformed. That's why there's people frustrated out there and, and they have so much knowledge. They've read so many books. They've got so much in here that, that actually it becomes a detriment because there's so much crisscrossing around that they can't even hear because all these other things have a voice now. And we've spent so much time filling ourselves with all this stuff instead of just being with Him. And I just don't want that in my life. Are you guys okay? Okay. So we want to meditate day and night. What I want to interpret that into to, in my own heart and encourage you to, to, to embrace this. And you don't have to grab everything I say, but just listen to my heart. That, that meditate day and night. I want, I want, what I want for me is I want that to be a continual consciousness of God, His Word, His ways, His nature. I want to grow up into Him to where 24-7 I'm thinking through Him. That's how I take that to mean. It doesn't mean I have to read my Bible all day, every day. But I'm thinking on His wavelength. Uh-huh. <laughs> that changes everything right there. His wavelength is mine. Okay? I'm taking my time here. Don't, 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 don't get impatient with me. This, might, this is the most exciting topic to me. Of, of well no it isn't that, that I'm loved and righteous it's all good it's all exciting I'm, try, try to push. It's, I'm just thinking no wait <laughs> it's all so exciting I can't make that statement it isn't the most exciting it's just as exciting because the righteous consciousness we spent two weeks on and the being free from sin is for the purpose that your father, son, father, daughter, that you walk together in the cool of the day. The whole purpose is to reestablish you back to the beginning to where you're in communion with God. Communion, union. There's such a deep word of intimacy in, in communion and in co-union and communion with the Lord. I mean, it's intertwined. It's, it's literally, you can find the word intercourse there. You can, it's, 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 I'm in you and you're in me. Come on, that's like, and it's a spiritual thing. It's not a weird and flaky thing. It's like, whoa. So I want that. Boy, that sure beats just having a head knowledge of God. 
I want to lay on my bed and be able to commune with Him and know, have a knowing in my heart where His Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I'm His child. Oh, because see, then all those counterproductive thoughts, the way that seems right to man, the little negativities, the little things that try to etch away and demean and, and chip away at your identity have no voice now. You don't even hear them anymore. It gets to a point where if you would hear them, it would be like, whatever, oh my goodness, you're kidding, right? <laughs> so why speak? <laughs> Serious, it stills the voice of the lie. Because you know that you know that you know. Now, the reason I've seen a lot of people live their Christian life like this is because of this thing we're talking about not being established and Satan's still taking cheap shots and they're still believing things that, are, that should be unbelievable you follow me see we're believing things that should be unbelievable and the things that we should believe we think are unbelievable see how twisted it gets the things that are created to be normal we fight with and think are, are unbelievable and too good to be true you see how the perversion works and the things that are should be unbelievable about our lives are the things we struggle with and believe it's, it's called the fall of man and God's getting us out of that. So we're going to meditate in His Word. Why His Word? Because His Word is truth. And truth makes you free. We're not looking. Thank God for manifestations of the Spirit. Thank God for certain things He does. I, I am so not against that. I am so not against the work. That would be ridiculous to be against that. And the ministrations of the Spirit. But God, thank you for the truth that makes me free. Here's what Matthew 8 says. It says, somewhere around 32, somewhere around there, it says, uh, if you continue in my word, you're my disciple indeed. You will know the truth. It's a deeper word than just knowledge. You will know the truth. You experientially understand your heart comes alive. Your heart's quick and you'll know from inside. You'll know the truth. And the truth, what? The truth makes you free. It's the lights coming on. It's you being alone with God. You're reading your word. And we're going to get into this today. And, 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 and all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah. What a joy. When you're all alone, nobody's around and you're reading. And you just start to commune with God a little and pray. And, and you go, you really love me. See, that's a good day for you. When you really love me. You absolutely... Where it's not just the Christian thing to say. Where you're not just chugging along in the confession sheet. You love me. Or he loves me. He loves me. That's one reason I'm not big on confession sheets. Because it's impersonal. You could be walking in a room with the Lord. Talking about him instead of talking to him. And I don't understand that. I don't understand walking saying I'm the head and not the tail and not just communing with God and thanking Him. He's lifted me up out of the darkness and He's put me in the kingdom of the Son of His love and thank you for the power of your spirit in me and communing with God rather than quoting a truth. Is it the truth? Yes, but I want it mine. You know? So, <laughs> let me just... Let me just keep reading this for, for right now. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And his law, he meditates day and night. Well, well that's because it's the truth. So we're going to continue in, not how we feel, not what's tearing us down, 
Not what seems so apparently true that's opposite of the word. But yeah, but brother, but look at this. But how come? But why? Oh, you know what we do? And we look at face value evidence that's against truth. And we talk ourselves out of what this book says because of either how we feel, what's happening, and how we're defining that. You can't give that thing power. That's natural knowledge. It's human wisdom. And it eats our lunch all the time if we're not careful. It's the way that seems right to a man. Yeah, but... Jenny, do you have something? Yeah. Can I... Uh, I need a mic. I don't know if BJ's around or... Okay, I'll just repeat it. Okay, good. She's saying uh, a definition, especially concerning music, meditation means put it into practice. I like that. It's a, it's a, there's a musing, a meditating, a pondering over again. It's just, hmm. So it's not just reading your Bible to get the chapter and it's not a devotion time. You're not saying, whoa, read Matthew 7. Praise God, I can go to work now. Hey, did you read your Bible? Oh, I read my Bible today, Matthew 7. <laughs> We're not trying to accomplish that. <laughs> there's, times that, there's times that days go by where, and this has happened for years, where I don't read a whole lot of the Bible. God's speaking something to me through something that might be four sentences. And I'm just hung up there. I can't go anywhere else because it's becoming alive in me. Do you see what I'm saying? That's why Holy Spirit, years ago, you've probably heard this. He told me to read. This was a long time ago. This is like 14, 15 years ago. He said, read Philippians 2 and don't read anywhere else till I tell you. And I said, okay. 13 weeks later, I'm reading Philippians 2. I don't know that I can quote it. I didn't read it to quote it. He told me, I want you to stay there. Because I said, okay, that's awesome. I said, man, I, I just want to know. I mean, if you can even tell me, I'll just do it. I'll do it because it's you. I know it was God. I said, why? Why? He said, because I don't want you to know Philippians 2. I want you to become Philippians 2. He said, and I don't need you reading anywhere else until you become Philippians 2. Become what it says and then go somewhere else. And I went. And he was teaching me a concept very early on that I was reading the Word to become the Word. I wasn't reading the Word to know the Word so that I could intellectually, with knowledge, debate in the Christian circles and have the answer and be able to talk theology and fit in in a circle and maybe even be an edge ahead because I have so much Bible knowledge. Blech. I'm not even thinking that. That is like that. Because you're, there's pride in that, there's a false esteem in that, and there's a wrong understanding in that. It doesn't help anybody. That's where people can... They'll just sit and just contest their Bible knowledge and talk principles and try to correct and adjust. Yeah, but it doesn't mean that, brother. It actually means... And, da, da, da. and it's like, okay, well, how has that transformed your life? How are you enjoying more peace today because of what you're pushing as an agenda right now? You have to be very careful what moves you and motivates you. How are you knowing Him more because of this thing that you have a need to... Make so clear. Because I've watched countless Christians do that. They get a topic in their heart and they feel like they have revelation and it becomes the, the thing they push. And they get in these meetings and, and they start, they get to leaders. I'm telling you, people come up as a guest speaker. They come to you and they, they want to tell you what the Lord's teaching them. But when, when they tell you, it, it's, it's got a, a real strong cant to it. 
they're, they're drawing attention. There's a, you can't believe how many conversations I have with people on the side. <laughs> Listen, man, I said, can we talk? I pull people aside. Man, you know, you, you guys see me spend a lot of time with folks when I'm around. There, you'd be amazed at the content of some of those conversations. It's not all just, oh, well, praise the Lord. Oh, I love you too. Because if I start perceiving and hearing and how the words of the mouth, things are being exposed, and all of a sudden they say something that gives away, man, I've got to address that if I love people. And I'll say, listen, man, you know, I've had so many of these conversations. Listen, you pulled me out. You know, you had a need to share this, and, and it looks like you're excited, and, and I'm glad you're excited. But I said, let me caution you in this. Let me, because when I heard you say this and this, and, and I've had some people get a little razzled by that, and like, well, well, no, but they get defensive. I've had some people just cry, because when you say it, they realize they're insecure, and they're trying to get you to see value in them through your Bible knowledge, their Bible knowledge. I see value in you because Christ died. Not because, you have, not because you can share that with me. You're, you're letting that determine your value. Your value is in Christ, man. I love you. You wouldn't have to share any of that with me. Your life is amazing. Da, da, da. You'd be amazed how it will unhinge people. It will expose that lie. It will get them to drop that thing and let it die. And they'll just start building on first things first. But you can perceive that stuff. And the, and the clearer you walk in love and if your motive is pure, it's amazing how God will give you those opportunities. See what I mean? If you have your own issues and your own little weaknesses and your own little wrong motives, you'll never have a voice in that stuff. It's the reason that we're teaching this stuff so that we can walk cleaner and live more effective. And Come on, Jesus could say anything to anybody and you wouldn't have to think twice about it. Right? Because it's just going to be right. <laughs> Not in the sense of... Right intellect. It's going to be right from the heart. It's, it's, it's got to be good. I don't know about you, but I pray about that stuff. Jesus, if I'm following you, then do such a work in my heart. Turn my heart in such a way where my motives are as clean as yours are. Where my heart is in agreement with you. When I talk to somebody, I have no need to correct them. I have no need to be right. But let me see love and be love and express love just like you. I want to be like you. If I'm the body of Christ and I'm representing you on the earth in the embodiment of you, then you've got to manifest this love to me, your wisdom and your will through my heart. God, thank you. And I'll slip to my knees when you're not looking and say thank you that you've made me one with you. Thank you that I can walk in your truth. That's communion. It's not self-conscious. It's not self-needing. It's not gimme, gimme, gimme. It's not bless me. It's not, hey, I'm afraid, help me. It's none of those kind of prayers. It's, I want you more. Follow me? Heavy communion stuff, that kind of prayer is. When, you, when nobody's looking and you're alone and you're saying, Lord... I want my heart to look just like yours. I look at you in the Gospels and you walked in love in the face of all kinds of adversity and you maintained the purest of motive, the purest heart, heart, unoffendable, unchangeable. Men could never change who you are, but because you were so locked into love, you changed who men are. God, I want to walk in that strength. That's my calling. That's my created value. That's my life. Now, I have prayed stuff like that Countless, countless times. And I believe that if we'll continue to just stay in that place, it reveals that that's what we really want. It's not just a passing prayer. It's not just doesn't sound good. It's not just affirming our own conscience for a season. 
There was, a, there was a time I did that. I was praying to the Lord and I was saying all the right stuff. And he said, oh, Jan, that's not true. You're not serious at all. I said, <laughs> and he called me on it and I collapsed on the floor and bawled because God's never wrong. <laughs> and I just, <laughs> it wasn't even daylight out. I was up before the, the, the rooster crowed, man. And, and I was just, I'm thinking this is God and I'm saying all this spiritual stuff and I was getting in a trap of just saying the language. But I've spent hours asking God to keep my heart pure and thank you for leading me. And Holy Spirit, kick me in the butt if you have to because you love me, but keep me on the track. And I have more confidence in your ability to keep me than me being deceived. So I'm not going to hang out here introspecting and nitpicking my life. I'm going to grow in you. And along the way, if I need fathered, father me. But I ain't camping over here nitpicking. That's what a lot of us do. Man, as far as I know, today, my heart's pure. As far as I know, I mean well, and, and, and I'm in the Christ. And, and if He needs to adjust something and tweak something along the way, He can. But I'm running. You get it? I'm not sitting back, well, is that really well? I won't get very far. And that morning, I'm just doing this, and it started to get into, I heard some CDs, and there's this low, and I started to say the same things, and I started to pray this certain way. And then it became, it was, it was a couple weeks went by, I started praying this one prayer, it became my prayer. And it sounded so spiritual, I had to pray it, it just sounded so good. <laughs> and if you were peeking in and listening, you thought, oh, that Dan, he's just so spiritual. <laughs> And God's sitting there going, would you get a grip, son? <laughs> He's like, you, would you stop praying? You don't even mean that. You're just learning how to pray that. And I'm like, what? And he instantly shared. And I said, oh. You know, you want that relationship with the Lord. I'm sharing some of these as little not, like teasers, if you will, in a healthy way, uh, you know, to just the, the benefit of communing because if He doesn't intervene and speak that at that point through what we've already built and established and I've already given Him permission to, where do I go from there if I don't hear His voice at that moment? You turn into religious, you could get... Where does that end? Where does that lead you? If He doesn't speak. We'll talk, we'll take a little time and talk on fasting real big in this school just so we understand it so people aren't into works with fasting and do it for the right reason. But there was an experience I had. I walked in the bathroom. I was going out into, I don't even talk numbers with people. It's so unhealthy. It's not, it's nobody's business. You want me to go, well, I did a 40-day fast. You did? I did too. Okay. What? What? What are we doing? I was so caught in that I didn't even realize what I was doing I was, I was fasting and I was, I was ready the next day would have been farther than I'd ever fasted and I go in the bathroom and I'm just brushing my teeth and freshening my mouth and Holy Spirit came on me very tangible and he got my attention. I was like, I'm thinking, well, yeah, I'm deep in this fast. I'm walking with the presence of the Lord, you know. <laughs> He's there to father me. He says, uh, hey, Dan, if you fast past today, it's for nothing. 
you've lost sight of what you're doing. And you're trying to reach a point in time. And I went, yeah, but Lord, I'm so pumped. I mean, I'm ready. Dan, I said, but Lord, he said, the fact that you'd yell but me shows you how wrong, locked in in the wrong way your heart is that you'd yell but me, your father. And when he said that the fact that you yell but me says everything. I went, I do a lot of that. He talks about, Sometimes I shout out laughing because it's a real, oh, you got me good. But a lot of times it's like, because it makes me realize without him fathering me, without this intimacy, I would walk off a cliff. Come on. It keeps you so humble. It makes you love him all the more. Because without him fathering me in that moment, I'd walk off a cliff. And I'm I'm down on the bathroom floor crying. And he said, Dan, it's like he came... And knelt beside me and wrapped his arm around me and started to father me and give me the wisdom. He's like, Dan, I mean, that's what it seemed like. I'm sitting there and I could hear him so clear. He said, Dan, if I wouldn't have interrupted this and I'd just let you fast, it's just a point in time. I said it would open he said it would open your life to pride. He said, Next time you know you're in a circle in a in a group and somebody's telling how long they fasted, and you might not even say it out loud, but in your heart say, Wow, well, I fasted. He said, you've lost sight of what you're doing. And it's to your demise if I don't interrupt this. In the long run, it's not healthy. And I went, oh my goodness. And it so humbles you and shows you your ability to live in less than truth. If grace wasn't fathering you. See, that to me is all a form of grace right there. When God says, hey, I ran down. I diluted some juice. <laughs> In like 10 seconds. Ah, <laughs> oh, I'm free. I'm free. I'm off the fast. I'm free. I'm so glad I went free. <laughs> you following me? Because my motive, it wouldn't have mattered if I fasted 90 days. It was to my destruction. It was not good. And then the church would be, oh my God, he's like, whoa. He's like Jesus in the flesh, fasting 90 days. Do you get it? Yeah. Well, we're going to open up. We're going to hit fasting real, real hard. But, but, but either or. There's times the Lord will... I have experiences I'll share with you when we talk about fasting where the Lord told me specific things to do. And usually they're against natural knowledge a lot of times. Or they're just to get your attention and they're against your flesh. Did you get that? They're against your flesh. In other words, you wouldn't be doing it if God didn't say because you're not even thinking that. You're like, whoa. <laughs> in other words, if he said, I want you to fast. So if he would just tell somebody, listen, I'd like you to go on a three-day fast. To some people, when I first met Todd and Todd got saved, Todd thought to miss a meal was death. <laughs> Serious. He told me that. He said, dude. I handed him a fasting book. He handed it right back. He read two pages, handed it right back. He said, dude, I ain't there. He said, I ain't not there. I said, it's, I said we, see, we Americans, we, we uh, uh, live to eat. We're supposed to eat to live. We live to eat. We nurture our flesh. And, and he said, dude, I ain't even missing a hamburger. It's, it, he said, I can't even imagine missing a meal. I said, okay, that's all right. And now he fasts every other day. You get it? So when God told him to do something, it was in the face of his flesh. It was to get his attention. 
and get him to take a step of faith and start suppressing at some level the nature of flesh, the carnal cry of flesh. You get what I'm saying? And, but, but there was times, there was a season he put me on something, told me what to do and gave me specific instructions. It was unhealthy in the natural, probably impossible, but I did it because I didn't even have that knowledge to fight with. I keep myself very ignorant to a lot of stuff. I don't read books. I don't get on the internet. I don't have a lot of natural knowledge. It keeps me real innocent and free and fresh. People that have tons of natural knowledge struggle more than I can imagine. Health issues, preservatives, the whole thing. I'm not saying it's wrong to eat healthy, live healthy. But when you start living in fear and you can't even do anything hardly because you're vulnerable to everything, that's twisted to me. I'm not vulnerable. I'm in Christ. And I don't, I don't, I pers- on purpose don't pursue a lot of natural knowledge. I've sheltered myself from natural knowledge on purpose. I really have. And because uh, I don't want my head spinning all the time. And I watch people that are pure and love God and their heads spin constantly. And I like my head sitting. <laughs> but, but the answer to your question is both. You have the privilege to fast, but make sure your motives are pure. And we'll get on fasting real good. But there's times the Lord will call you and get your attention. He's done it to me several times where it was absolutely God. And it was full of grace. Okay. In His law he meditates. Now look at the benefit of becoming a product of truth. Where your mind and your heart and your life is lined up to how God thinks and who God is. It's amazing. He shall be like a tree. (laughs) Do you hear a promise in that? He what? He shall be. He shall be. It doesn't say you might be one that springs up like a tree. He says you shall be. This is a good promise. Has incentive to it, doesn't it? It's like, whoa, this is taking me somewhere. Actually, knowing God is the incentive, but this is the fruit of knowing God. You see what I'm saying? So there's a big benefit in knowing Him. He shall be like a what? A tree planted by the rivers of water. Now look. That brings forth fruit in its season. So you're not going to be barren and you're not going to be uh, unable to produce. You're, you're going to be ready. You're going to have the goods. You're, you're, there's, there's the capacity to love in your heart. To have compassion. Patience is on you because you've become love. There's all the fruit of the Spirit is just all over your life. And you're not trying to apply a sermon to be a faithful Christian. You've become like a son. There's a difference. You get it? You bring forth fruit in your season. Your leaf shall not what? Wither. That's amazing. Now who's going to make that happen? That's called the grace of God. It's not just because you're super Christian. It's because you're communing with the Lord. His grace is on your life. And and this is the one that's amazing. And whatever He does shall... Sometimes we think that, that that word prospers kind of been contaminated a little in a sense when we hear it. Whatever he does shall prosper. That means if I sincerely love somebody and sow seed of truth into their life, it's going to manifest, bear fruit and increase. If I'm sincere. There's a place where love's going to have its effect in every aspect of my life. Whatever I do is prospering. Nothing's in vain. Nothing's a waste of time. I can be in a conversation and it could seem like somebody's not getting it again and again and again. And then they call me back. Same topic again and again. I've done this for years. And they'll call me ten times in a week. 
And it's just the same. And, and I actually have other phone calls. I've got a life to live, even personal with family. And, and I have ministry and travel. And you'd be amazed what I do behind the scenes with that stuff. Because whatever I do will prosper. People aren't throwaways. I have time for that. I just know that if they don't get out of that thinking, they're going nowhere. If I can take whatever time it takes to get something in them, whatever I do will prosper. That's why I have time for people and don't get tired doing it because they're not a wearisome burden to me. I'm in faith for my response. I'm on the phone because of faith, because of love, because I have a bigger vision than them calling me ten times in seven days. Are you following me? It's not the natural... Man, I wish they'd cut me a break. They're calling me way too much. Don't they know i got a whole lot of other things to do? I don't even have time for this. Oh my God, they're going to wear me out. See, that's what we think. And then there's no grace. You, don't, you never rise above your human capacity. Because your natural knowledge binds you to your natural ability. <laughs> Love is amazing. They throng Jesus constantly. He did more things in three years than the world could contain of books if they were written one by one. I think he had a pretty active life. <laughs> there was nights he stayed up all night and just communed with God and then ministered all day long the next day. Jesus, you need to use wisdom, brother. Get some better food and good rest. You need to take care of your body. That's what we say. When his heart's sincere and grace is moving him and he's just... You see what I'm saying? Now, there's people that have run into trouble and run themselves in the ground and burned up and burned out. I understand. So we build something off of that as a resume. But you don't realize how many times those people are actually striving in ministry, doing as much ministry as they're doing because that's their identity and all that stuff comes into play. That we never talk about. We just talk about, well, they got, the body drew them and they get drained and you got to be careful, brother. And you got to, because we take some horror stories and make gospel out of it. And we don't even know what was motivating their affairs. Why they were running as hard as they were running. Because if your identity is ministry, it's gonna, it's, it'll kill you. Because it's like an addiction. And the more you do, the more you feel better about yourself till you run out of gas. And I've been saved 16 years and I live at a pretty good capacity and I don't even understand what it means to run out of gas. So I'm just saying, personally, I don't even know what that means to run out of gas. Like, I can't even understand the concept. That's how I've not even been near that place. I haven't, and I'm not talking arrogant right now. I'm just saying, I don't understand that concept. But I know one thing. Purity of motives, love, and grace, and all that stuff are very important when you're called into a life like I, I live. I was going all day Friday. I came home. My phone got calls because people don't know I'm going all day Friday. And now I got some crisis Saturday morning. I wake up after getting to bed at 2.30, 2 something in the morning. And I got a serious thing on the phone. Then I got another one. And then I have to run an errand that's very important to me. And then I come home and have another one. And then I want to take a jog because I like to run. And I hadn't run for three days because my schedule was a blur for three days because I had laid down my life for people. Now, if I don't have a good concept on my life, I'm like, man, cut me a break. Call somebody else. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think I seem tired and drained and wore out to you. Whatever I do, shall prosper. You get it? 
<laughs> so, so I wanted to run up and, and be with all of you at Hope and hear Todd. I haven't even seen Todd for a while and just be there Saturday. I got back from jogging. It was already 6 o'clock when I finally got my run in. And I took a shower and Kim said, man, you're going to have to hurry. And I looked at her and I said, you know what? I think I'm just going to stay here with you and just sit down. I don't need to run anymore. It's okay if I miss tonight. It's kind of a grace and a, a window that I can just say, hey, I, it's not like I have to come and preach. I'm just going to chill. And I just pulled the plug on running. Yeah. It was just awesome to be able to do that. Yeah. So it was just good. But do, do you see that it, it, was, it was all an amazing thing and heaven is going to count for fruit in that whole period. And I have a bigger perspective than what it's demanding of me. And I, and I don't, like people say thank you to me all the time. And my, my response inside, I don't always say it because I understand there's a valid place to say thank you. But inside I always think, what do you mean? I there's no sacrifice. Thank you for what? I didn't do anything. <laughs> there's no sacrifice. I didn't do anything. Thank you for what? <laughs> That's how I think all It's good because you can't lift. I'm going in and out, guys. Pray harder. Pray harder. <laughs> like. Oh, Jenny, I love you, even though you're handing me bondage. I love you. <laughs> I have so much fun with this. I'm trying to. Oh, hey, look at the anointing you're carrying. We still need a battery, huh? Life is flowing in and out. It sounds like it's on. Or is that this? Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Whatever He does will what? Prosper. Listen to the contrast. The ungodly are not so. They're like chaff which the wind drives away. Yeah, I don't usually preach on this, but... And there's no condemnation in this. I want you... Some of this stuff sobers me. I do this personally at home. Sometimes I read scriptures about perilous times and the heart that will be in people in perilous times and some of those sections of scripture that sometimes feel uncomfortable to people I read them just keeps you sober and when I read them I thank God that none of those things are in my heart and I begin to thank God that he's purified me and cleansed me and showed me the purpose of his love so I actually read a lot of the scriptures so I don't mind reading the next couple of verses and going whoa it says see because what Satan likes to do he likes, even though your heart is toward God, He likes when you don't understand things. And thanks, I'll get it. Yeah. Here, just take this. We're going to fix it right up. It won't stop the thing. I have to preach five extra minutes to make up for this. Give you your time today. Thank you. Oh, we are on. <laughs> Satan would love for you to have a heart that's good towards God and have not a good understanding and be blown and tossed like the wind as if you were ungodly. I'm telling you, he feeds on that stuff. He loves Christians when they're just tossed around, blown around, and yet their hearts are crying inside. In all our getting, get understanding. That's why we're doing this school. I have a real faith in my heart to do this school. See, we don't want to be like that. We don't want to be like the chaff which the wind is driving away. 
The un ungodly aren't going to stand in the judgment. You know why we're going to stand in the judgment? Because as he is, so are we in this world. We've become love. Our hearts have been refined. It's not because we've done good works. In the sense of just tried to do good things. Our hearts become like his. That's why there's a whole string of good works. Because it's the response of love. But it says the reason we have boldness in the day of judgment is because as he is, so are we. Two have become one. We've accepted oneness with the Lord. That's the reason the Bible says you're going to have boldness in that day. Not because you have a whole chain of works on your belt. Because it says we'll be judged by our works, but where's the works flow from? It's flowing from love. Right? If you're just doing good works to build your own kingdom and secure your own identity in the sight of man, that's not even going to, that's nothing. That's like a filthy rag, right? So, <laughs> I become one with him and I yield myself to him and I don't want the nature of man, I don't want to be sold short and have anybody, even a good Christian, lie to me without realizing they're not telling me the truth. They're not willfully lying. I don't even want them to tell me that, well, we're only human or we can't this. We can't. I don't want to embrace one thing that sells me short of what I can be now that Christ came. That's how adamant I am about that. So I don't let anybody in on that one. That's a place reserved for Jesus and His Spirit. In other words, I don't want one drop of grace available to transform my life to fall to the ground because of natural thinking. You follow me? And I am on a journey to be what he made me to be from the inside out. I am not selling cheap. I have prayed that prayer so many times over the years. Uh, tears pour down my face when you're not looking. And I say, God, thank you for the honor of being possessed by your heart. And I thank you, God, that you are moving in me and cultivating me in such a way that I can manifest you fully. I don't want to limit you. I don't want to keep one thing short of coming through my life that you paid for. Have your way in me. And I just talk to him like that. I could be driving and talking like that. Ugh. And then I'm not fooled with a bunch of yell but. You follow me? Yeah, but brother, you don't understand. I get that one a lot. <laughs> Privately, people come, yeah, but I don't know if you understand my life. Well, no, I probably don't, but I understand his. And his life's to become yours. So don't let yours rise above the grace available through his. We do it a lot. Yeah, but you don't understand my family situation. That's what people say. See, that's the stuff that I pray doesn't ever have a hold on me because that's the stuff that sells transformation short in your life. That's the stuff that hinders faith and limits grace. We don't understand that spiritual process a lot of times and we're real quick to just write off the, the cup, just boom, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but, 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 And there's no depth to what we're saying. There's no validity. There's no spiritual truth. It's just natural wisdom. And it'll make sense in some circles or a lot of circles. But it doesn't make sense to heaven. <laughs> you get it? If it doesn't make sense to heaven, I don't want it in my language. You all follow me? Yeah. Some of you are just yeah. kind of looking. Yeah. Are you okay, Donna? Just looking. <laughs> you got a question? <laughs> you all right? <laughs> I just perceived that something was going on there in your heart. It's okay. Jesus loves you. You know, 
Here, I got very, I, I did, I got very drawn to you while I was talking there. Put your hand right on your mind, right? right, right put your hand there. Because I, I felt the love of God towards you. I fixed on you out all the students. I locked on you and I felt drawn to you. That's God the Father. He loves you. He hears your heart, sweetheart. And He doesn't want you struggling. You're His little girl. I watched you up here like a little child yesterday morning worship Jesus. I saw you jumping rope and everything. It was too crazy. I was like, what a sweetheart to the Lord. So I bless you. I bless your soul, Donna. And I just speak grace over you and the ability to comprehend and understand and never demean yourself and never pull yourself down, but to always be lifted up by the love of your Father. You're precious in His sight, honey. Yeah, and He's so proud of you and privileged to be your daddy. And I bless you as His little girl. And I just thank God for the capacity to see, to hear, to understand and become by the Spirit of God without any pressure, without any tension, and without any weight on these shoulders. I just thank you, Father, you lift it off. And I thank you, Father, you bless your little girl. Thank you for Donna. In Jesus' name. And thank you for clarity and wisdom and understanding. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, we love you. <laughs> we love you. Thanks, God. Looking around for another victim. No. No, it was funny how that was. I was talking. God knows what's going on. And I went, and I just zeroed right in. And I usually don't, you don't hear me just open on a topic like that. I'm like, what's going on? Yeah, I just like, some people are like, and I was like, what's going on? And I looked right at her and laughed and exposed that. But it was because it's God. He loves us. He doesn't want us stumbling, struggling. He wants us. And that's neat, a little experience like that, because it means God is towards us. It means out of all the people in the room and all the people in the world, He knows everything and He loves. That's intimate to me. It's like, come on, that's like rock-a-baby kind of stuff right there. <laughs> so, yay. <laughs> Isn't it good to be alive? Ah, so, so, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, the way of the ungodly perish. So, He knows the way of the righteous. So, God does know your heart. He knows the motive of your heart. And, but meditating in the Word, day and night. We're going to talk about it today, maybe a little tomorrow. I want to go to John 17 quick. And I just want to set a little precedence here. Probably teach a little different than I usually do in the sense of, I just want you to see a little bit of foundation here of just some Scripture that empowers what we're even talking about today. Okay, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. I love this. Listen to this motive. Glorify your son so the world's impressed with me and I can rock everybody and everybody esteems me and honors me and takes my picture and thinks I'm amazing. No! Glorify your son so your son may glorify you. The reason I won who you are and what you have for me isn't so that I'm blessed and my day is rosy and fuzzy. It's so that men know who you are because of my life. Come on. That's called pure. Or you're going to be driven even in Christ thoughts and Christ prayers to a self-centered motive. It's a self just me, 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 me. You have to be very careful you don't get trapped in a me, myself and I mentality in any area of your life. I promise you. You don't want an ounce of feeling sorry for yourself. I'm telling you, we butter each other up on that stuff. 
We, we empower that stuff. We, we feel it's insensitive to not be so sensitive. But if you're empowering, feeling sorry for yourself, somebody's sorry for, your, for themselves, that's not love. That's, not, that's, that's enablement in a wrong way. It's, there's a place to wrap your arm around somebody and feel for them, but to empower them to continue to feel sorry for themselves, you've got to pull them way off of that. Yeah. That's the end of the road. Feeling sorry for yourself is a zero. It is. It's, it's the biggest lie of all because it says you're not dead and you're not alive unto God. You're alive unto yourself and you need God to keep you going. And It's a big suggestion there when you feel sorry for yourself. Well, the whole, it just feels like the whole world's against me. We, oh, honey. No, I try to imply truth there as I feel compassion. I can feel compassion for you, but I am not going to stroke that lie in the process. That's not in the blanket cuddled up with you. That gets out in the cold. You stay in the blanket. I'll keep you cuddled. But we're going to put the lie out in the cold. That's not going to get rocked with the baby. You following me? Well, that's a good analogy. Write that one down. Randy, keep that on tape. I might preach that someday. <laughs> that's just good. Do you see what I'm saying? You've got to separate that stuff. Because that lie is what's empowering the mentality and the disposition and all the fruit attached. Feeling sorry for yourself is the biggest lie on the planet. What do you mean the whole world's against you? If God be for me, who can be against me? The Lord is my helper. Uh, Hebrews 13.5 What shall I fear? What can man do to me? There's a truth there. Come on, they're not Sunday, hallelujah, amen scriptures to get the atmosphere pumped and then all go home and live some other way. The Lord is my helper. What shall I fear? What could man ever do to me now? Because <laughs> my perspective's changed. I'm called to man. Man's not called to me. It's not what man can do for me. It's how I can love. It sets me free. You owe me nothing now. And I know, oh, no man, anything but to love. It's the freedom of my life. So if I start feeling sorry for myself, it means that I'm forgetting why I'm here and I'm picking up the old way. And it's just about me. Yeah, but they shouldn't have said that. I couldn't believe they said that. But you don't know how much that hurt. Well, honey, I realize that's trying to hurt. And I know why and understand why. But consider this. And then I'll sit and I'll talk to somebody and I'll pull them into truth and give them the opportunity to respond to truth in the middle of all that muddy stuff repaint the truth so they can grab it and do they always? nope sometimes people lock in to needing to feel sorry for themselves and, and they'll go around and look till they find somebody that says aww and it's a false sense of it's, I won't do that for you and I won't apologize I, I love you too much to do that there's a place for compassion and embracing, but separate the lie in the midst of the compassion. Because the compassion is what empowers you to have a voice in the life and separate the lie. Can you picture Jesus coming and, and just holding you without changing the way you're thinking that's empowering stuff that's not good? Can you imagine Jesus just coming and just caressing your hair and saying, Oh, honey, it's okay, I love you, and never addressing the mindset that's opening the door for all the despair? Because as soon as you don't sense Him caressing you, or you have to go face life from that same place, I, had, I spent so much, I was down with Randy Clark on Friday, 
And I had the great privilege of ministering. Steve Swanson was there. It was fun. Got to hug him. And he's just a blast. And he's just a happy guy. And they tore it up on Sunday nights so much that you didn't even know what to do. It was so fun being alive and in Christ. And they sang it so clear. And then he'd sing this real high truth and then jam like ridiculous. And then they'd sing this high truth and jam. And you didn't even know what to do. You just... "Ah!" I didn't even know what to do. It's just like you could laugh, you could cry, you could jump. It, none of it was enough. So you just stood there and every once in a while, your husband was a mess. Josh just, he was a mess. He's just, I was like, man, he's a mess. Long after they stopped the music, he's sitting there. He's like a mess. I'm like, Josh, he's a mess. Wasn't he, Brent? He was toasted. He said, he said, wasn't that worship? Oh, my. <laughs> and he's got this smile. His whole face turned into his mouth. It was like, <laughs> and he does. He's got this big smile. He's just in the car going, <laughs> and I'm like, that boy is lit up. And it just was so amazing. And you know what they were singing? That our sins are washed away. And that it's outrageous grace. And that we are his children. And, and that just kept going. And Josh was like, yeah, yeah. And he just believed in it. Next thing you know, he was just, he was going. He looked like one of you flaky Christians when you believe the gospel. <laughs> it was so fun. So it was just fun. But here's what I found. I found that as soon as I preach, because they hear your heart, your passion, testimonies, you step off the platform and this is a sea of people around you. You don't even... Is that true, Brent? Yeah, it's very true. <laughs> it's just, and, and I'm a people person, so now I realize I only have a 10-minute break before the next session, and I've got a lot more people than 10 minutes. So I started to find out what was on people's hearts, and a lot of people wanted prayer, but I found out that so many people are issue-oriented. Yeah. And they have a story... And they have a need to share it because it, it's dictating. It means it, it has validity to their life. It's, and you learn as you're ministering to notice this stuff. Because when somebody has to tell you their upbringing and what they've been through, and what, that's still driving their life. That's still them. You see what I'm saying? And, I, and, and, and you don't have to agree with this, but I feel like it's wisdom. I feel like God gave me wisdom a long time ago. Not to just pray for those people. But I want to reroute their understanding. I want to redefine the eye they're looking through. Because they could come. And some of these people go. You know we get these terms. Conference junkies. and da, da, da. They go to conferences. Because they're searching. They're driven by this lie. And they're always looking for comfort. Well the comfort comes from the truth. You could say no. The comfort comes from the touch of God. I promise you the comfort comes from truth. If you don't change the way somebody thinks, the way they live will never change. And they'll be at the altar a hundred times trying to hold on to what they got or felt like they got at an altar before, but their language is the same. And I took a lot of time with people on Friday. You saw. And I turned these guys loose to do the real fun part, just pray for the sick. (laughs) 
<laughs> I said, come on, guys, come here. And, and, you, and you should see, you know how people, people are funny, man. And I'm like, now they were, some of them were, were good with it, but they, you, you see long faces on people. They get their expectation in a person. And we've been taught, you know, that, you, that God's moving in this person. You've got to go where the anointing is. Well, when I read my Bible, it sounds like the anointing's in us. So I had to convince folks that, hey, at first Josh standing there, and here's Josh. I mean, I said to these people, I said, listen, he's a man of God. He's here from Australia to run with me. He's running with me. He has just as much in him as I've ever had in me. I said, if I was sick, I'd want this guy to put hands on me. Now, I want you to start letting him pray for you. I had to compel him because they got their eyes on me. Well, the first lady Josh prayed for had a rod going down the middle of her back and she's frozen. She's bending and touching. And I'm like, see, see. (laughs) It's funny how when something like that happens and the crowd shifts and stuff, you're like, whoa, God is moving over here. It's just, but it shows we've got our eyes. We live this way. It proves something. It's like, and that's why I'm so passionate and teach so much what I teach. I found myself spending lots of time with several people instead of praying for the masses, didn't I? Lots of time with just several people because my heart so goes out to them because I could take their hands, pray, I could touch them. I mean, we saw people getting touched and and, and overtaken by uh, the tangible presence of God. We saw people, you know, what you call the fire of God and they're, ah, it looks like they're burning. But, but, and, and I'm thankful for all that God does in all that stuff. But, but, and, and we saw that and we prayed that way for people at times. But, but I'll tell you what I took joy in. Looking in those people's faces, watching this one lady, this vile thing came up out of her. She said, but you don't know what I've been through. I said, see right there's your permission slip. Honey, look at me. You've respected me. You've heard me preach. You're here because you see Christ in me. I do. I've never heard preaching. I've never been. I said, well, I'm calling you back right now. Because I'll tell you what, that right in you, that thing that just rose up in you, that's the demise of your life. That's destroying you. You have a right to be less than Christ and you don't have any right. And I said, you're letting that anger and that bitterness, you're letting what they did so wrong give you a right and it's making everything wrong in your life. And I talked that straight to her. Yeah, but... And then she brought in her children. And yeah, but... I said, come back, honey. Right now, listen to me. And I kept looking her right in the eyes. Finally, she started bawling and fell on my chest. Because she knew she was holding on to bitterness, unforgiveness, rightness. And the message I preached was so in the face of all that. So she's running to me for prayer for somebody else (laughs) that has issues and problems. (laughs) And she's the one that God wants to love and nurture because she's standing right there. So I took time with her till she just cried and then she began we just had a little thing through the day and she'd come by and rub my shoulder and smile like thank you because it it gave liberty she finally let go and it gave her liberty and another lady just took so much time to change the way she's thinking because you could pray for her all day until you change the way she's thinking the course of her life won't change you follow me Jenny question yeah Well, birthrights is your heritage and inheritance in Christ. So there's, there's rights. You have rights and privileges to righteousness, redemption, the kingdom. 
Uh, there's birthrights of anointings and generational blessings and things over your family and life. We shouldn't make so much about generational curses. Why don't we talk more about generational blessings? Who, who talks about that? We always talk about generation. Actually, my Bible says when one turns to righteousness, he's blessed out to a thousand generations. That's right on the heels of the sins of the forefathers and the four generational curses. We talk all about that, and it says, but when one turns to righteousness, so why are you attaching the four generational curse to my life now that I'm righteous and a new creature and that man died? So the man that was in line for the curse has already died. And this man that's alive is a brand new man. How's a curse that was designed to go to that man in the line of sin, in the lineage of sin, going to come on me now that I've shifted to righteousness and I'm out of darkness translated into the kingdom of the Son of His love? Hello? So my pre-life, pre-Christ life, my father, forefathers pre to me, has nothing to do with nothing. Christ crucified and raised from the dead is my identity, my birthright, and it's what I deserve. <laughs> so rights and no rights, here's the deal. You gained a whole lot of rights when Adam ate the tree. And here's the right you gained. <laughs> the whole lie about it all, all those rights you gained was to live for yourself and it was at the cost of the image of God. To get restored back to the image of God, you have to surrender that and deny yourself. Now watch. How do you deny yourself and retain human rights towards people? And towards things and holding people account and, and expectations. If I have expectations on Jesse and Jesse has to be a certain way for me to be okay, well then he's Lord. He's governing my life. And all of a sudden I'm holding a right... And he's the one that's fulfilling it. So it's kind of at the expense of him and me. Because if he doesn't, I have issues with him and don't even see his value and purpose. And I'm just using him as a benefit to me. And he can fail me now and disappoint me now. And break my heart now. And how can I love him if that's our relationship? Now I'm living in Jesse's life at the expense of Jesse instead of loving him. So when, I, when you hear me preach that, like call, uh, when you say uh, birthright, call no man on earth your father, you have one father, he's in heaven. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? <gasps> Jesus called God his father, they wanted to kill him all the more. It was bad enough you healed on the Sabbath, now you're saying God's your father, you are whacked and a blasphemer, you need to die. Their identity was so twisted that when he called God his father, it was worthy of killing him. That's how sin conscious and demeaned their value had become. That for a man to suggest that he was the son of God or that God was his father was worthy of death, guys. Think with me. In their culture, they had become so sin conscious, so degraded in their value and so low from the standard of God in a sin consciousness that when a man called God his father, kill him. You see the effects of the fall? How estranged we became? You see why this thing is all about restored back to communion and union and intimacy and right identity and right standing and sonship? So his disciples said, well, John teaches his disciples to pray. Why don't you teach us to pray, Lord? He said, when you pray, pray saying, our Father. Oh, what's he proclaiming right now? Look, guys, he's not only my Father, he's your Father too. 
I'm the firstborn among men, and you were always predestined to be sons. You've been sons from the beginning. Don't take this sin identity and separate yourself from your potential. He is your father. Just come home through me, through my blood. Yay. Do you get it? Yeah. And he says, call no man on earth your father. The word father in that phrase means strictly to come forth from. So don't say you came forth from anything but him. Now that would be a good way to start with birthright, Jenny. Right there. Because if he's my roots, my heritage, my created value, if I find myself in him, then everything that I have a right to through him would be considered a birthright. Okay? Oh. So I like to see my birthright as redemption, restoration, total mercy, forgiveness, peace that you can't even explain, joy that you can't even express. That to me is birthright. Eternal life. Did he create Adam to die? He created Adam to live. He said the day you eat the tree is the day you surely die. Why? Because death wasn't in the picture. That's why we have everlasting life through Jesus Christ because he brought us back to us. If Adam never ate the tree, we're never going to die. We're going to keep living. So everlasting life wasn't lost when Adam ate the tree. Why? Because Christ died and restored it back and brought it back. So he crushed death. You say, well, we're all going to die. No, we're not. This body will pass away. But to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. You're never, I'm never going to die. Ever. It's never, ever, ever about death. I'm never going to die. <laughs> I'm alive forevermore. That's what he says. He's the one that was dead but is alive forevermore. Guess what? I can say the same thing because in him I live. So why are we so afraid of death? Why do we fear all this stuff? Why do we live by the natural? And why do we let our circumstances rule us if we have a bigger picture and a bigger faith in who we really are? See, communion and union establishes that. There was a time I was asking God for an eternal view. I want an eternal perspective. I want to live for a bigger picture than right now and how I tend to feel and what I tend to think. God, I want to see bigger. I don't know how this stuff happens, but I was seeking Him on just what it means. And I was looking at it through the Word and I was getting an intellectual understanding, if you will, a knowledge of it. But I was driving down the road past the old Rob Supply Building on Market Street. I don't know. I just know I was there because it was so amazing. I was just driving and all of a sudden my eyes just opened and I could see. And it's affected me ever since that day. I see a bigger view. It just, it just came on me. I see. The, the, it's open. I, I see. To my, to the best I understand. I know Peter said I'll die for you and denied him and all that. But the best I understand, that's established. There's no fear in death. There's this never going to die. I believe that. But I saw a bigger picture. When that picture came to me, I was driving along the road. I almost had to pull over. It was a, a spiritual experience. I started to see the uh, beauty of privilege of legacy, redeeming time, the, the beauty and privilege of my words coming out of love and, and all that stuff. And how the Bible says, by your words you condemn, by your words you justified, etc. Well, that's, that's not because God's sitting there judging your every word. It's because you eat the fruit of your mouth. Your stomach's full of the fruit of your lips. So, so you, you, your words justify or condemn. So out of the heart a man believes, but out of his heart his mouth speaks. Right? So you start wrong thinking... Wrong believing, it's a stepping stone. Wrong believing, wrong, wrong thinking, 
turns into wrong what? Believing. All of a sudden it gets a little bit of a stronghold, foothold. And now what you've been thinking and not dealing with in truth and casting down and exchanging with truth starts to become your what? Belief system. So you start thinking you're not really worthy. You start thinking Christian life isn't really making a difference. You start thinking and you start thinking degrading negative thoughts towards you and your own value. That's how it starts. And the more you think it without contesting it and crushing it with truth, the more you start believing. Next thing you know, you believe it. And the next step is something comes out of your mouth. Well, maybe for you. What do you mean? Well, maybe for you. And what are you saying right now? You're just expressing what you've begun to believe because you've been thinking it for so long. And you're thinking it for so long that now you believe it and the next step is it comes out of your mouth and produces fruit in your life. And now you've just established this is who I am because of what I've been thinking. You see how the process works? And all of a sudden you start accommodating it with words and sealing that thing. When out of your mouth should come what? The casting down of these things. The exalting of truth and who I am in Christ and I hold it captive and in obedience to Him because my life is in Him and the truth about me is found in Him. And anything that's not in agreement that comes through my head, my mind, my heart, whether it's my soul, the devil, we said last week, who cares where the source is? Who cares what it, who cares if it's my own mind working against? Who cares? It's, it's not true. When I read this, and I think what's going through here, it's not true. So there has to be some place where I rise up and cast that down by saying, Father, I am so valuable to you. Father, my life is so worth living. You know, your life, you just ain't, you ain't amounting to nothing. Nobody really appreciates you. You know, when you talk, there's very little impact. I mean, what have you accomplished? Nobody really sees value in you. I mean, who are you impacting? Who are you changing? All of a sudden, these derogatory tone of thought starts coming through your mind and it devalues your purpose and your value of your life. And all of a sudden, it's like, well, what's it even matter anymore? I mean, well, yeah. I mean, what impact do I have? If I was here, who would even miss me? I mean, and now you're selfish, self-centered, self-focused. Who would even know if I was gone? I mean, next thing you know, you get these crazy suicidal thoughts going through your head and now you're believing and it's all demonic there's people sitting in prisons that did hor- horrendous terrible things and can't even comprehend what they've did and don't even know what happened sitting in life terms can't even imagine what they did because this thing just worked in them and built in them and all of a sudden it's like a blur and now they start acting on what they thought they'd become and then it's like oh my god it's demonic stuff. It's crazy. There's people that, that, that go that route and then my life's not with her when nobody even missed me. And then you feel sorry for yourself and self-centered. Now all of a sudden you're empowered to actually do the unthinkable because you've been thinking it and believing it and now you're agreeing. That's how it happens. It's a wicked, twisted process of hell. It's to devalue great. So, so, here, so how do you counter that? Thank you. So how do you counter that? So, so let's say... This sweet little young lady down here on the corner is getting those little thoughts in her head. She's in her bedroom and those things are just trying to get her and she's trying to go to sleep. And she loves Jesus the best she understands and she loves her family and there's certain little struggles and things she'd like to change. But all of a sudden, out of the blue, this thing just starts, just little thoughts come. But her little heart has been sown truths in it and and all of a sudden she's like, no, my life is worth living and God, you're doing a work in me. Yeah, but... And all of a sudden she sits up on her bed. Father... I thank you for what you're doing in me. Thanks for sculpting me. Thanks for forming me. Thank you you're working in me right now effectually. And I might not even be seeing 
the outcome and the fruit of my labors. But I know one thing. I give my heart and life to you. My life's worth living or you'd have never died. And I thank you when I speak to people, when I minister, there is a prospering, there is an impact. And time will tell that my life was so worth living. And you just... Right? And then next thing you know, guess what? Right thinking. Right believing. To the degree that those little lies don't even have a voice anymore, even if they're whispering. Whether you don't hear them or whether you hear them and go, duh. They're not you. Do you see what I mean? So you want to build a stronghold in truth. Right? Right? Amen. So did I answer fully? I thought I answered fully the no right, the right, the no right, and the birthright. Because the no right side of that, and we're going to take a break. The no right side of that is this. Denying myself. Let me ask you a straight up simple question. How can I truly deny myself and obtain any other right than to be like Him? If, if I draw lines and say, well, yeah, but enough is enough. Yeah, but brother, you... To where, you know, you have to sometimes call things into order. There's things you have to correct. There's situations you have to adjust around you and friends and relationship and life. But when I start doing it from the motive that you've crossed the line and you've now affected me and hurt me apart from love, that's when I'm deceived. Do you get what I'm saying? Because now I'm allowing you to dictate my motive and I'm just hurt and offended. And now I'm just hurt and offended. I'm just a mere man. I'm just in strife. I'm just hurt and offended. And I've lost the grace of God and the principles of Christ that work effectively in my life. I've stepped out of them because of personal rights. You follow me? So I don't have the right but to love and to understand and learn by Holy Spirit what love looks like and the working out of that love in my life. And I, there's there very difficult situations over the years past. There's situations where a person was abusing someone, uh, physically hurting, and, 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 and I, I, you have to step in, you have to do things. There was a time where I had to orchestrate a separation for a season with the great vision and plan and purpose of restoration. Because if not, it's just everybody's hurt. Now you learn to live alone. Now you learn to live apart. And you know where that takes you. No, we're going to separate here. We're going to seek God. We're going to this and that. And I had to go and talk to a, a certain gentleman and say, listen, I've actually, I've actually endorsed this. In fact, I've actually, I've initiated this. Punch me if you want, whatever. It's for your sakes. And this is why. Wham. You see what I mean? I've been in more stuff than you realize. I, I've, been in stuff, I've been in stuff where girls would share. They had a secret person in their life. And in a half hour, I have the husband, the man, and the woman in a room together. Because that's how I pastor. And I could tell you a lot of stories like that. Because it's about getting things right. Looking in people's eyes and saying, Look, sir, what you're doing right now, you don't understand. And you're taking advantage of a hurting woman who is allowing a weakness to motivate her. And it can't even be love. Listen to me. It's starry-eyed fantasy. It can't even be love. Hurt is motivating her into your arms. She is married to this man and they need resolve. And you are a blockage in that equation of restoration. And you're meeting a need that you have in your own life, sir. And it's fulfilling your own self-desire. That's how I am behind the scenes when you're not around. Because people need to see that. And that that's a reality or they just stay in their little soap opera world with their starry eyes and everybody's meeting their own need and nobody's getting healed. Because the need's not met. It's the phrase I use that sounds a little gross. Everybody's licking each other's wounds and nobody's getting healed. 
I've been in a whole lot of that stuff. And he said, well, you're just a strong personality. No, love puts me in there. Love. I've had women on the phone defending their right to be with the person they're in adultery with because of their husband and the whole checklist. And I have to work through that and disarm that and show them what's happening to their life and hope that they go and see it and fall apart. That's what I'm hoping for, that they actually go, realize what they've done because then it's easy to put them back together. (laughs) But until I get them to go, it's hard to put them back together because there's nothing to work with because they're still mad and they still have a right to... You follow me? So truth is amazing. So, so you adjust things. You correct things. You have to call things in order. But if your heart's not love in the process, you're going to touch things wrong. You're just going to be a commando drill sergeant pastor. You're just going to be something. You're just going to be trying to whip people in order. And you need to shape up and do it right. It's not about that. You care about people. You realize this man has just as much need and hurt in his life. That if he had any sense of honor and her understanding of Christ, he wouldn't be sleeping with her. He'd be ministering to her and drawing her to Christ and back to her honey with restoration. He wouldn't be hopping in bed with her and helping empower her pain. So it's a self-serving, self-serving. That's that denying of rights things. Come on. If I've denied my rights. What, I told a friend of mine once we were alone and I was shocked. He was, he was struggling with some of these issues. And I said, what? What would it matter if the five most beautiful women that's known to the world, that the world would say are the most beautiful women, because that to me is all trash anyway. I was making a point because that's just, I'm sorry for you girls under the pressure of that exploitation of what's beautiful and I'm just sorry. And I said, what would it matter if I'd be traveling out of town in a hotel room and this is a crazy analogy, but what would it matter? I said, and it was because of our conversation, I was pleading for him to knock it off. And because he was struggling with some stuff. And I said, if they'd come into my hotel room and say, look, nobody over, no, etc. I said, my goodness, I'd try to lead them all to Christ. <laughs> so you girls are so hurting. You wouldn't even be in this position offering yourself in this manner. If you had any idea who you were, you've lost your sense of honor and the beauty of who you are. Come on, you're not beautiful. You're beautiful. And he said, what? You're telling me. My friend said, you're telling me if that happened to you and you, you wouldn't just... Oh my goodness, that's like almost borderline offensive. But I'm not going to carry offense. <laughs> see? Because we don't... See? Don't you think Jesus lived that way? Don't you think Jesus lived that way? Don't, do, do you think... Do you think uh, they brought the woman that committed adultery and he's got all this trash going through him. Do you think the woman's washing his feet and he's sitting there thinking, man, I wish I wasn't the son of God. I'd like her to wash more than my feet. Come on, that's nuts! Yes. Amen. And there's a place we can get to where our hearts are pure. There's a place where we can get where we don't have need and we don't have other motives because we've died to ourselves and we've given up the right to ourselves. That's what it means by no right. I have no right, I have no permission to be in that place because I've surrendered and in the place of prayer and faith, grace has come and orchestrated my heart to where when you're looking at that woman washing your feet, you see her integrity. When you're looking at the woman that just committed adultery, you're not seeing an adulteress. You're seeing her created value. You're realizing if she knew who she was, she would never be in the arms of that situation. 
If she had any clue of her value and her destiny and God's predestination, she wouldn't be in bed with somebody for just a point moment in time. You have no idea behind the scenes. Teenage girls your age is holding them, crying with them, saying, what are you thinking? You are so much passionate. Because you're so much more. I had one young girl say, I said, you, you, you get so full of Christ. You get this. And I said, and you allow God to attach you to a man that this and this. And I painted the picture of a man of God. And she said, she's crying desperate to feel love. Because she's reading all these cosmopolitan and whatever magazines are out there with all these women and all this love and sex and all this stuff. And she's feeling like she needs to be, you know, accepted and loved. And somebody needs to want her. And I'm like, ah! And I said, you put yourself in position for this man. And she cried desperately and said, there's no man I know. There's nobody out there like that. She believed that. There's nobody like that. I said, what? I said, so, so what do you do? So now you're in a rock and a hard place? So now you compromise, you sell cheap, and you lower yourself to the standard of what's out there? No, you realize the value of who you are, and you rise up and you be a prize to be won, and you go ahead and draw Christ up and out of someone. Don't you ever sell cheap. That's how I preached to her. Zimoff is crying a week later, just slept with some boy. Balling, wondering what's going on in her life. Crying, feeling defiled. I said, so, you realize, honey, and I got straight with her. It wasn't a dig. It was to mark her. I said, so you realize this isn't your answer, huh? So you don't feel pretty right now, huh? And I wasn't digging condemnation up. I was stark reality of the lie. So you don't feel pretty right now, huh? No. And I asked a couple more questions. She said, just stop it. I said, I will now. It's very important that you see the extreme of this lie. And don't you ever find... She's happily married to a Christian man with several children today. And I'm glad about that. But put herself through hell trying to find identity this way. At the compromise of her own value. I preach very passionate on this topic. It's break time. Sue is getting her aerobics in if we're not careful back there. (laughs) Take a break. No, she didn't do all that. We love you. Bless you.